Well, welcome back to, well, not welcome back. Well, welcome back if you've ever listened before, but if this is the episode you're starting with, then welcome, I guess. Uh, this feels like a really strong start. Uh, welcome to <laughs> We Have Such Films to Show You. Where we only do one take. Yep. <laughs> uh, I am, I am uh, Josh Millard. And I'm Yaakov, and uh, I really wish we would have just continued on pretending like people had just tuned in and, you know, we get all <laughs> of our audience in the being like, hour. what the fuck is wrong with my podcast program? <laughs> <laughs> we should really start the show off with five minutes of a bathroom break, you know, really, really double down on that one. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, this, this, this fortnight, it's been, it's been a slow summer, I guess. We've been, I think this is two in a row where we have not really necessarily on purpose initially ended up doing uh, a month apart instead of a couple Yeah, of I mean it's been a slow summer for the podcast. It's been like a for me at least it's been like a completely overloaded summer for everything else. Yeah, you've been you've which, been all life with like busy with life and stuff with the uh, house buying and such. Yeah, and we moved and now we live in a smaller place um and so you know the night that we moved in is when I watched this movie by myself in the dark. Uh, which was basically perfect. Um, although, uh, yeah, it's an 800 square foot apartment, not a McMansion, so a lot less area to haunt. <laughs> of which, speaking, speaking of which, of which, of which as we speak, uh, we're doing paranormal activity, which I, I, I thought that was a sort of interesting, like we mentioned it. And it seems like this is one of those movies that a lot of people, and by a lot of people, I mean, probably two people, uh, but for our Facebook page, that's, that's a lot of people We're sort of like, Oh yeah, terror in suburbia, whatnot. And, uh, it, and it's impossible to read tone on the internet, but I kind of, I, I took that to have a sort of uh, a degree of sort of like archness or, or dismissiveness. Uh, and, and it's an interesting thing. Cause like I both do and don't agree uh, as far as how this this film sort of feels and, and, and the characters in it, but uh, but that's maybe getting ahead of myself. Uh, had you watched this before, Yakov? I don't. Remember. I had not. I haven't even watched. I didn't even watch the trailer, which is good because apparently they blow the ending in the trailer. <laughs> that's not shocking. It's not. Well, I mean, you think of what are you gonna what are you gonna show in the trailer for this film? It's it's a whole bunch of nothing happens, and then a few little things happen, and then a thing happens. So you know. If you're trying to get the thing into the trailer, really I think the just... entire no, no, it would have been brilliant. The entire trailer could be how long is the trailer? Like two minutes long? Yeah, just two, two minutes of the camera running, and then something really freaky happening at the end, and then just paranormal activity. It would have been the perfect trailer. It, it, it could have worked, or or some um some some time lapse sleeping footage, you know, play it that way too. Yeah, uh, or just Katie standing there hovering for <laughs> well, not hovering, but you know. <laughs> Looming. <laughs> so this movie, this is uh, this is I think this is the first uh, sort of found footage aesthetic one we've done uh, for the podcast. I mean, in yeah. a sense, Hellraiser Nine was partly that, but not not on really. Purpose. Yeah, not in any good way. <laughs> uh, it's certainly it, it's proof that that uh, genre can be done very very poorly. Wait, was wait? I I don't remember Hellraiser Nine very well for. <laughs> You know, obvious reasons, because I tend to block out trauma. Um, But was it actually like a handheld aesthetic, or did they just, did a guy just shoot it with a handheld camera? I don't remember. It was was a mix of perfectly decent, uh, boringly staged cinematography for like the non video camera shots. So, you know, someone was shooting, using a real movie camera to shoot them sitting around being miserable people in their house. 
and remembering that terrible thing from Mexico and the boys dying and, and whatnot. Um, but then there's a bunch of footage that the boys shot in Mexico. Oh, uh, that's And then right. there ended that's up being right. like, I feel like there ended up even being footage of uh, one of the boys becoming pinheadified, but maybe that was just like shot with a shitty filter and I'm wanting to force it into being having been videotaped because that would just be that much worse uh, if it's possible to get that much worse than how yeah, Hellraiser I mean, 3 actually like, was. When the camera that you're shooting your movie with is only like just the next model up from the one that you're shooting, you're like clearly, <laughs> you know, on purpose kind of shitty uh, found footages. You're, that's not a great... Uh, that, that contrast doesn't work too well. Yeah. Um, oh, and I think one of the other Hellraiser movies had some found footage, but that was even just like a scene. Um, but it was shot like found footage style. Although apparently, you know, whatever that cult was, they got a music video director to shoot their uh, right. Cult oh yeah, Deader. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> that's that's Hellraiser for you. That's uh, we're discussing a Hellraiser movie we can't remember from eight months ago this week. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so found footage. The whole. The, I, I feel like there's there, there's a ton to this genre as a. Uh, I I don't know when the first you know experiments with this sort of thing were done. I don't want to suggest that like Blair Witch invented this, but Blair Witch I feel like really kicked off the contemporary uh, sort of indie slash mainstream found footage horror documentary uh, genre. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, 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 the, it would, I think it would have been hard to do found footage before like moderately portable cameras were invented. So it's just not a genre that could have happened earlier easily without it being, you know, at least slightly science fictiony. Yeah. I mean, or, yeah, you- or happening on a film set, I guess. Like, uh, what was that movie? Oh, no, wait, no, that's a, that's a contemporary movie, um, Shadow the Vampire. And that's oh, not even right. found footage. Yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah. So the, you know the, this this genre, which is you know it is a bona fide genre, actually had to wait for technology to catch up to it for it to actually have the impact that it should. Yeah, which is interesting because some of the some of the films are trying to come up with ways to go back. Uh, Apollo eighteen. Did you ever see that? I think it was Apollo eighteen. That's the one that didn't um, exist, or Apollo nineteen. Yeah, one of them. Yeah, I saw the trailer. Is it just the Monsters on the Moon? Yeah, movie? it's it's like well, yeah. Let's make a found footage Monsters on the Moon mm-hmm. movie, and it wasn't very good, but it looked good. I mean, it, right. uh, you know, for what I'm assuming was a relatively low budget film, um, they got a lot of mileage aesthetically out of shooting. Uh, well, probably not shooting on, but treating in post uh for a like you know 1970s eight miller millimeter and 16 millimeter celluloid film sort of look so it wasn't just camcorder digital you know digital camcorder shaky cam stuff it was uh old school film reel Ah. so they, they sort of invented and it's it's a little bit ridiculous because uh that seems like a lot of uh film equipment to take up but I don't remember exactly how they tried to explain any of it but it was kind of it was kind of a it was a neat idea it was it was kind of a stinker of a film but it was a neat idea and it looked good if you really wanted to imagine some sort of NASA conspiracy from the 70s with aliens on the moon eh, it's not bad um. <laughs> oh um no VHS VHS we, we did VHS uh, true, on true. the podcast That's a good point. which is was not a feature a, but certainly yeah 
Um, but yeah, Blair Witch Project was the one that really um, brought the genre into the forefront. And I don't know how much I want to talk about it because I, I kind of actually want to do Blair would, Witch Project on the podcast. Yeah, I would love to do it sometime. I haven't watched yeah, it so, in you know, years let's, and years. Let's, so. let, let's not talk about we'll say, that. Yeah, it, was, it, 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 it really it, it laid it made clear the availability mm-hmm. of this path. I would right. I would say that might be a good way to put it. A bunch of people, you know, saw that movie and liked it as a movie and a bunch of other people saw that movie and thought, "Oh shit, yeah, I could do that." And 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 here we are, you know, close to I don't know, paranormal activity was probably yeah. 10, 12 years after Blair Witch. Oh, like well, that. Like 9 or 10, I think, cuz I think I was already in high school when Blair Witch came out, and this came out in 2007. Right. Um, so, yeah, something like that. Uh, and, yeah, I think, you know, um, I, I think it's one of the first actually, like, low-budget... Because, I mean, Blair Witch Project was pretty low-budget. They, they never actually yeah. pinned a number to it. But uh, this movie cost something like fifteen grand, yeah, between eleven and be 15 saying. grand. So it's it was made on you know, a, a shoestring and, uh, most of the effects were practical. It, it was edited while they were shooting it. Cause apparently the, the director, what's his name? Orly something. Or um, something. Yeah. Yeah. This is like his first movie. The, the first movie he directed and, and wrote that was, that, you know, got released as far as I know. Uh, yeah. Orrin Pelly. Um, yeah, and I mean, like after after this, he he became a, a producer. So he's he's produced a lot of horror movies, including all the sequels to this, of which there are many. Because it turns out that when you make what did this movie make two hundred million dollars on a fifteen thousand dollar budget? Yep. I didn't know it was that big of a thing. I came to that fact. million dollars. It's the um, it's the highest grossing movie simply because of the, oh, not the highest grossing, the but highest the um, what do you call it? Net. The uh, uh, yeah, I think the net. Would be between the production and the 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 the, the profit, or would, however you Hollywood accounting is. You need a degree in that, so I'm not even going to start explaining that. But um, yeah, it made a shitload of money compared to how much it. I mean, it cost a rounding error off the amount it made. Yeah, that's um, interesting. Yeah, and he he directed the first one, and uh, none of them since then. Apparently, they were like, okay, this made enough money, someone else gets to direct the film. He still wrote and produced all of them, yep. but uh, and maybe Did he maybe write all may- them too. Uh, he's well. He's credited as a writer. Uh, maybe it's just maybe it's just writing credits from the yeah from the original film carrying over. So yeah, like a concept by um, yeah. Well, he's credited. Let me see. I'm looking at his thing right now. He's credited as a writer on the original, and then on a movie called The River, Chernobyl Diaries, and Area 51. And the rest of them, it looks like he was just a producer, and he directed Area 51. Yeah. Paranormal Activity 2, Tokyo Night. What the hell is this? That, uh, so Tokyo Night, it's a sequel to it that they made in Japan. <laughs> I, I don't know how international copyright works, so I don't, I, I don't know what it's considered, but it was like a theatrically released movie in Japan uh, that was a sequel to the original Paranormal Activity that we just watched. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And apparently there's, like, I was reading up on the other ones, there's apparently a whole mythos in there uh, just revolving around Katie. Um, you know, and it's really interesting. Developed it. Yeah, I, I, so I've seen two and three, but I think I saw the first one, and then some time passed, and I saw two and three, and I noticed that there was, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, some calling back. I think the second one takes place after the first one. Uh, one of them is a prequel. Yeah, I, I think three is the prequel. So, so two is like you know stepping it up, and it really is. I remember watching it, thinking this is very logically, 
you know, a sequel in production terms as much as anything. Like it, it really said, okay, we had two this concept. is the prequel, three is the sequel. Sorry, is it? Uh, according to Wikipedia. Gonna, oh, weird. I thought it was the other way around. But uh, again, uh, you know, I, I might rewatch him because I, I enjoyed uh, rewatching this. Um, in any case, in, in any case, it's yeah, it does seem they're like building off this whole uh, sort of story, and I haven't seen four yet, and apparently five is announced, which is the best status for a film. Someone has declared that they're going to do it. They haven't done anything yet, but they're going to. Um, and there's a spinoff called The Morked Ones. Yeah, I was, I was wondering about that. I was I was searching and wondering if, if by any chance there was just some 1972 film called Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones, but no, it's, uh, yeah. it's apparently related. Uh, so the movie, maybe we should talk about the movie, I guess. Yeah. I guess we could do that. Uh, I liked it a lot. I, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, first of all, because it was really scary, at least the way that I watched it. I also watched it with a... Um, because so we we again we recently just moved so I, I I put my laptop on top of the television that's on the floor in our living room that came with our furnished apartment, um, and then I put the Bluetooth speaker on the couch next to me. So every time the bass played, my the couch would vibrate, but just in a very specific area. Um, and also our dog is on edge right now because we just moved. So every, every time that like something would like the rustle or even like creak in the house, the dog would perk up and freak out. Um, so yeah, yeah, this, I, I, I was very, uh, emotionally, um, attached to this movie just because of the context in which I watched it, which I think was great. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it, it, makes so much out of so little like it's the the effects are you know i i can you, you don't even wonder about the effects because they're so simple like you know a door opening and closing by itself um you know a thud which is might be introduced in post <laughs> might not be i don't know the chandelier swinging like the ouija board you know uh setting itself on fire that was pretty interesting um i you know i probably one and, oh, and it moved by itself, too, like, accurately. Yeah. So I, I wonder if they did it with, like, a magnets or something. But, yeah, I, I didn't spend too much time wondering about any of that just because it, it, it looked so natural. Yeah. Um, there was no, like, you know, when you do found footage, like, you, you, the, 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 what do you call it, the zipper suit on the monster is either going to be invisible because it's found footage and that that's what you want, or it's going to be, like, super visible, in which case you end up with, I don't know, Cloverfield. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so the, this movie went the other way, like totally lo-fi cinema verite sort of thing. And, uh, it, it worked, it worked really well, which is pretty amazing considering this is like a first time director. He shot this in his house. Um, you know, the, the actors were basically non-professional actors like they're they were professional actors but they weren't known actors he he i I read that during auditions he actually turned down a better known actress for the role of katie um and and yeah that's uh you know that's the, the the basics of it is just this guy made this movie with like a couple of people and that camera that we see in the movie yeah yeah, and, and and yeah, it's, it's so Katie and and Micah. I I, I remember watching. Uh, the, I was watching through the credits last night, and there weren't any credits. It's basically what it came down to. At least the version I had, you know, it ends with uh, you know legal notice from Paramount, and then fifteen twenty seconds of just blackness, and uh, maybe a little bit of rumble, and then it's done. Yeah, there's uh, there's no opening credits either. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, there's no there's no title really. Uh, there's just uh, they do uh, like that Fargo thing where. 
Because, I mean, I guess the production company, which was Paramount, had to get their name in there. So it was just like, yeah. Paramount warns you that, uh, you know, this is a true story or something well, like okay, that. Okay, so what I had was Paramount Pictures would like to thank the families of Micah Sloan oh, that's right, that's right. and Katie Featherston and the San Diego Police Department. And I thought I thought that was kind of that – was, that was a pretty good move because this is a thing. This is, like you say, like Fargo is an example yeah. of a movie uh, lying to you. Directly, this this is an example of a movie lying by implication, and I feel like there's a there's a whole little range of it. I would love to take a like a look at the title cards for every found footage film that purports to be a documentary, uh, and sort of see how they've handled it in the various cases because mm-hmm. it is it's a weird little thing. You kind of have to you, you got to give the audience some context. Yeah, yeah. But if you're gonna elide context altogether, you're gonna do something like this. Or if you want to, because I feel like the thing with Blair Witch is Blair Witch, you know sort of declared that this was based on found footage at a time when I think any any critical viewer is going to come at this and realize, okay, no, this is not a documentary. But at the same time, people were a little bit less primed for it. And I had friends, like, I had smart friends who really thought it was real because they just sort of bought the the line and they bought the the hype from Yeah, other- they did a re- I mean, I remember back then they did a really good job with the hype back then. There was... You know, there, there was a lot of like, oh, this is real going around. Um, yeah, they just, really yeah. they played it well, and and so you end up with this thing where you know they they say that, and and from that point forward, every other film, everyone is going to be thinking Blair Witch and thinking, well, no, I'm not a fucking idiot. I know this is not real, but you kind of have to do it anyway. And so, like looking at how different films have done this, and I, I thought Paranormal Activity's choice was relatively. Uh, nicely understated. I like that it was a lie by implication. So, like, it doesn't actually say, you know, warning the following is gruesome based of blah, blah, blah. It actually just yeah. says, we'd like to thank, and the families of was the nice twist. You know, like, we'd like to like thank the families of these two and also the police. You know, it's, it's, it's just a, it's a nice sort of setup. It's a nice way to sort of say something bad happened without really saying much of anything. You know, one of the alternate endings, or no, the original ending involves the police, and I wonder if if that title card was, was intended to be shown with the original ending, where the police basically killed Katie. Oh, yeah? Um, because then it would be, you know, it had sort of like a, sort of a, this ironic tinge to it about thanking the police for, you know, taking her down. <laughs> Jeez. <coughs> Excuse me. That's, uh, that's the, my podcast cough. I've been working on that. Uh, we wait for a lull and then I just cough off. My Sounds own. good. Do, do yeah. it into the mic next time. <laughs> Get the volume up a little bit. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a nice, it's nice. Stuff. And, and like you say, it's, I, I feel like it's, it's a really great study in super economical filmmaking. Cause the thing yeah. is you can make a, a, a workable little film for not very much money with, you know, minimal equipment and, uh, some, some guts and whatnot, but you can pretty easily make a film that, looks a whole lot and feels a whole lot worse than this one did yeah. while still only trying to accomplish about the same amount of stuff, you know? And so it's, it is, it, it, it seems like really good planning, really good realism about what they could accomplish. Cause like you say, none of the effects are, are particularly crazy. You know, so much of what works in this film for the scariness is just sound design. I mean, it's the things we're hearing when nothing is happening in a static shot, you know, that's, that's, that's really smart. That's, you can, produce a lot of sound really cheap uh if you know what you're doing and you've got you know good sound skills uh 
Yeah, I mean, I was kind of a, like the whole time I was watching this, I was kind of worried that somewhere towards the end of the movie we would see like a shadowy demon apparition, and that and you know that would have been the easy route. And considering the budget, like it, it there would have been a very good chance that it would have looked really shitty. Yeah. Um. And and I'm really glad they didn't go that route and just like show you the monster because there was there was no reason to. Um. You know, and I. You know that would that would have sort of like blown the entire aesthetic if they were just to show it. Yeah. So you know, just showing showing everything but it. There was um, it was an old Eddie Izzard routine where he talks about actually related to the Apollo thing where he talks about that you know the uh, the astronauts should have just shot a horror movie up there just constantly running and screaming at something <laughs> right off screen. Yep. <laughs> just yeah. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. So the monster is always just like slightly off screen. Um, which was great, and then uh, what do you call it? There was, uh, and yeah, yeah, there was, there was all these like little contextual touches, like the the burnt up photo they find that you link to, like you know, the clearly paranormal fire that Katie endured, and it's like this artifact that shouldn't exist, but it's not like you know a magic glowing thing with you know pulsing with energy and CGI. It's just like a burnt up photo. Yeah, it's- but the movie makes it very clear that this object should not exist. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, that's, you know, that's in itself is, is, is just work toward, toward the effect of the movie. Yep. I, uh, I, I, I so, so an interesting thing in, uh, paranormal activity two, uh, as a, as a up and reaction to this film, the, the second film, they, uh, step up the number of fixed cameras, uh-huh. Uh, which I, I, I remember liking when I watched it because it, it, it got, it, it let them do some new things cinematographically, c- cinematograph, cinematographically, uh, it allowed them to do new camera thingies. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and it was a nice compliment to this first film because this first film is all, I, 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 I have always, since I saw this movie the first time, I've always thought of the bedroom shot as, you know, the shot with capital letters, yeah, because uh, it really is. I mean, it's the it's the centerpiece of the film, and there's all this shaky cam stuff, and all these uh, often, you know, it, it's mentioned in the film by Katie. But the fact that Micah can't not grab the fucking camera uh, as an excuse to get camera on stuff, and and yeah. that's a whole thing I want to talk about is Micah's character or Mika. I don't know why it's it's it should be. Micah, I keep saying it, it Micah in my head, yeah, even though they just, it, they never refer to him as Micah. Yeah, it's just like, I've never seen that not be Micah. So, yeah, Mika, fuck that guy. Let's yeah. call him Micah. He, he, yeah, he sucks. He, he was, uh, but anyway, yeah, there's a bunch of excuses to have the camera and, and yeah. lugging the camera around, and you know, thin excuses, but whatever, it's there, and that way we can actually see something. Because hey, it's a movie. But uh, but the the bedroom shot was like the one thing that was like reasonably justified. Is like yes, that's they're doing this for a reason. It's there, and it, it becomes such an iconic, uh, you know, it's it's the refrain of the film. It's you know everything that happens in between brings us back to this. And there's there's a sense from like the first time we see it that okay, obviously something bad is going to happen here, and we keep getting tidbits of weird, crazy, scary things happening. But you know, as the film goes on, I feel like it becomes so much more certain that something. There's got to be a payoff on this shot, and and the film ends up uh, ending on it. Um, and I don't know that it was necessarily like the best possible payoff, but we get there anyway. We get we get uh, the camera s- suddenly becomes like really directly involved in the scene during the shot. You know, the last time we get it, yeah. 
Um, and I just, I, I liked that. I, I thought it was very effective. And this is part of what was, had me interested in watching this again and talking about this, uh, is this and, and, and the sequels, um, the static shot thing seems like something that sets them apart from a lot of other found footage stuff. Like Blair Witch did shaky cam just start to finish basically. Yeah. And it did it well. Um, but it was like nothing but always, you know, the shaky cam and, and the move to, uh, I feel like a static camera angle a lot of the time is interesting because it changes how we sort of engage with what's on screen. You know, when it's the shaky cam thing, we're watching for details, but we're also just trying to keep up with it. You know, it's a very, it's a very sort of frenetic active thing to try and watch someone running along with a camera and screaming and panning around here and there. And you really, you're constantly trying to get reoriented with what's in the frame. Uh, whereas you set the camera down and let it sit there for a couple minutes and you get extremely oriented with the frame. And then when nothing's happening, it becomes a game of sort of trying to figure out where you're supposed to be looking. And, and the film does some nice things with this. You know, I feel it used it really effectively to sort of play with that sense of, you know, anticipation and having to try and figure out how to manage this visual field. Yeah. Yeah. It was almost, um, uh, it, it was Almost gimmicky, but just I, I don't like the uh, what do you call it, the connotation of, of gimmicky being you know like hackneyed or or bad in some way. But it was it was it was almost like an interactive part of the movie when the static shot came, because at, at then you know it, it's a static shot, nothing's happening. There's a timer counting down. Maybe they're like rumbling around in the bed a little bit, but you know at, at that point it's up to you as the viewer to you know you're the one that's waiting now. Yeah, you know, you're it, it, it's on you now. Like the the there's nothing for the movie to do except just sort of unveil itself, and you're you're sitting there, and you're like, it's like, all right, maybe it's, it's like, what what in this scene is currently in any way like highlighted? It's like, well, I mean, there's there, there's the bed, there's the mirror, there's the flowers, there's the door, um, you know, and then there's like the 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 black outside area, and like you know, something's going to be happening somewhere, and it's it's almost like um, you know, like those old shooting arcade games where you're just standing there waiting for the bad guy to yeah. pop out so you can blast them. It, it, it's something like that, except now you're, you're, you're simultaneously like waiting to be terrified and, tr- and you waiting, to be, but you're also, uh, what do you call it? You're, you're trying to anticipate what the movie's doing, which, which adds to that. But you know, it's, it's almost like an interactive element to it just because you can't like, it's a static shot. You can't do like, Oh, what was that? And then tilt the camera because something happened like at the corner of your eye and there was a black yeah. blur, you know, uh, like they did in, um, what do you call it? Uh, VHS when they were in the basement. You know, you, you you can't do that. So you have to rely on like a different kind of of horror. And you know, like when the timer, you know, you, you get the, uh, the 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 sped up uh, timestamp, and then you know it stops being sped up, and then you're just like, all right, something is going to happen now. <laughs> exactly. Like there's, you know, the, the, there might as well be just like you know somebody coming out and saying, okay, okay, now, and then and then you know you have to wait for it, and it happens. Yeah. Um, what was it? There was there was this thing uh, in old horror movies. It was this was actually a gimmick where they would install like some sort of a, a bell or an alarm system in movie theaters because the movies would be so scary that they had to warn you before the scary thing happened so you wouldn't have a heart attack or or whatever the hell the the, the, the marketing for it said. It was obviously you know a gimmick, yeah. but um, yeah, it was it was kind of like that uh, where it was just like that they're. You could not have more warning that something scary was going to happen. Yep. And 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 really, I, I feel like that it's another example of 
you know, something that is seems like a pretty smart trick to play with such an economical film is, you know, if you aren't going to get a lot of your scares with, you know, effects sequences or, or complicated shots, then, then get your scares out of just prompting anticipation. Cause that's, that's the thing. I mean, it, it, it's effective enough to fast forward and then stop fast forwarding to put the viewer extra on edge. And that's, that's a, that's a pretty good trick to pull off, you know, hit fast forward and then hit play. Boom. Now you're scared. You know, it's, it, it's, so yeah, it's, it's nice. I, I thought, I thought, uh, so the static frame thing, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I, I really sort of dig the whole idea. I would, I, I would be interested to read, uh, you know, a really good, uh, cinematic, you know, analysis of, of sort of like static versus handheld framing in these, in these films. And I, I'd be curious to see other examples of films that get a lot of mileage out of the static thing. Cause I'm, I'm sure to some extent I'm just forgetting other examples or se- sequences, but, uh, but but it, it, it just seems like such a such a nice trick and such a thing that seems really definitive of the series because like I said, uh, the Paranormal Activity two um, takes us and then sort of ups it and instead of having the one static tripod shot in the bedroom, you end up with a bunch of essentially security cameras around a house, you know, inside and and a couple outside, a shot of the pool, uh, several cameras inside, shot of the baby's room, shot of the living room, shot of the foyer, shot of the the bedroom, etc. Um, and so that movie. Instead of the the shot and the fast forward uh, in the bedroom, in this being the repeated theme, it would cycle through them during those sort of nighttime sequences, uh, and so you'd you'd have not just looking at the frame and wondering where and what is going to happen on the frame, you'd even be looking and wondering if this is the camera we're even going to see the thing that happens on, you know, and it, so you could be sitting there sort of tense through two or three camera changes where literally nothing happens but you don't know that nothing's going to happen and you don't know when the switch is going to come. And so it, it really sort of, it, it played with the idea in an interesting way following from there. Um, but I think that, yeah, there's just something to say for that. Cause, cause the interactive thing you said is, is I think good. Like you can almost imagine this being turned into a really shitty little web game to advertise it. Like, you know, click on the ghost when it pops up. Uh, but the fact that the, the fact that as a viewer, you're sitting there and really sort of trying to pick apart the scene and try and pick apart this sort of mute, uh, you know, if there's a language of cinema, you know, then then the film just stops talking on a regular yeah. basis, and it just says, "Okay, well, you know, you're on your own." Or here's here's a static shot. I'm going to lead you in no way. And it's, I, I I would say, you know, it's it's not like revolutionary exactly in horror filmmaking because it's just kind a uh, kind of misdirection. And horror movies have made huge, you know, work of of, of misdirection in in cinematography. You know, there's nothing, you know, unusual about uh, a fake out scare where the camera leads you in one direction and then the scare comes from the other side or something like that. Uh, but like like you said, this sort of does away with being able to do the camera move thing. But at the same time, it gives you the open door. It gives you the bed, you know, and those felt like the those, those were the two elements of the frame to me. It was like, you know, the, the bed and the door. And it was always like, where is the thing going to happen? And there were shots where I was watching the door because I was convinced that probably the door is where something's going to happen. Uh, and then it goes into fast forward mode and you got the twitching on the bed, but it's just twitching, you know, it's just them. Okay. Yeah. People turn over when they, they sleep and so on, but it's distracting. And if you're trying to watch the door, you've got that going on and it's trying to pull you away. And, uh, I, I thought that was, uh, uh, just another nice little thing, like getting something for basically nothing right there. And the fast forwarding effect in general, that twitching is great because it looks creepy, even though we know it's just, no, it's, you know, people sleeping, uh, 
but there's something about that sudden movement that feels very sort of horror movie surreal in a way that works well for the yeah it's like the too. jacob's ladder uh shaky head thing yeah except for with the presumption of normalcy because right. instead of being a demon it's you know people sped up yeah there's um what was I going to say the about the um, and I mean they they even use that. It's, I think they only use it once. It was like one of the very last night scenes where like the covers just sort of like float up, like something's getting in the bed next yeah, to her. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So they 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 even they even use that. There's and I mean, how many? I mean, if we did, did you make a list of like what happens in every one of them? Because I, I, I made brief I, notes. Yeah started to and then, and then I sort of just got distracted by other things in the movie but you know the first night um, either nothing happens or like she gasps in the bed first night as far as what the, happens on the, camera I mean. yeah there's just a low rumble creepy noise that comes in and comes back out about 210 and that's it uh, in the first night uh, the third night uh, I'll, I'll run through them real quick Because hey I did make notes So what the heck uh, Third night we get some Fast forward time lapse We get a rumble again At 2.09 The bedroom door Creaks closed a little And then back open um, Which was I mean that was that It was I, I think having it Go back open Was just like A brilliant addition to it And I think the director agrees Because Micah points it out um, <laughs> He's like Wait 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 Oh it goes back in um, Yeah so yeah, I thought that was a great addition, especially because it you know it, it it's going inward and doors you know it's like you know when if it's the wind you know the the wind is either closing the door or opening the door and you know if it's just the one thing it's like uh, maybe it's you know the wind or something but no and then it just like starts going the other way it's like no I'm pretty sure that's not the other wind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, night five, uh, we get some rumble again, and then Katie comes gasping awake from a nightmare. Uh, and then there's a big bang in the house. Um, night 13, because we jump around a bunch early on. Uh, night 13 at 3.13, so, you know, lots of 13s in there. Uh, there's a great big horrific screaming noise and thump, and then they go downstairs, and that's where they do the whole visit downstairs and find the chandelier shaking and, and wandering around. Yeah, and, and for those of you who haven't seen it, it's the screaming, it's it's like inhuman, like guttural demon screaming. Yeah, it's just a great uh-huh. big horrible thing and then a great big thump. Uh, on night 15, uh, there's a real subtle rumble and then Katie wakes up uh, and looks around a little bit confused a bit. And this is, this is one of the great shots in this film because it is such a nice use of the really simple stuff that come they came up with for this. Uh, she sort of gets up. She looks a little confused and, and dazed and sleepy. She gets out of bed, uh, turns and faces the bed, you know, faces uh, frame right where Mike is sleeping on the far side of the bed. And then it just fast forwards to for two hours. And she just stands there sort of staring and, and, you know, twitchy wiggling because of fast forward. Uh, it's a great little creep out out of just nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the, what a person looks like when they're standing still in fast motion through like, you know, 20 minutes or a half hour is more or less identical to what you're going to see if they're standing in fast motion through two hours. So the only thing that makes that scene scary is just that time just keeps going and going and going and she just doesn't move in any significant way. Yeah. And it was, yeah, I mean, it's just like the the special effect there is just like literally the timestamp. <laughs> yeah, stand still while we fast forward. Uh and yeah, and then she ends up out on the porch, and he comes and 
gets her and she doesn't want to come in and then there's a bang in the bedroom and then the TV's on and it's showing snow oh, and, when, and blue kind of because they've got a weird hybrid old new TV. Yeah, that was that was a little odd. But I was going to say though, when he finds her on the porch, that's like the first um, time when she she. I, I think that's the first time when she's actually possessed, possessed because she gets that she, you know. Then this is to the actress's credit, just like speaks in a completely different sort of cadence from from the way she usually speaks, and it's not even like you know like sleepy cadence because she just woke up. It's just like this very creepy sort of distant. You know, it's like no, everything's fine. I'm good. Just a little cold. Yeah. Um, like dissociated. And then, yeah, exactly. And then when he gets, and then when he he goes upstairs to grab a blanket for her, and then she just pops up right behind him, which yep. is just one of those classic horror movie things. That um, again, like the the found footage nature of it makes it like all the all the scarier because it's you know you you just watch something happen. Like if you're if you're invested in in the the, the device of found footage, you just watch something happen and the. Speed and the quiet which she comes up there is is practically supernatural, but not so much that it would that it would be caused for like a massive amount of alarm. Um, and then and then yeah, like she does get like a, she she you know breaks into like a regular like kind of sleepy like halfway because like what the fuck is going on like um, you know cadence to her voice rather than the the one downstairs and like that contrast yeah. makes that previous scene even creepier. Yeah. And it's one of those things where you could you say, well, you know, people are a little bit weird and disaffected when they're mm-hmm. sleepwalking, and people yeah. sometimes, you know, walk and talk and have, you know, these apparently lucid but not actually episodes, and okay, fine. But but we're watching a horror movie about demon possession, so, you know, it's not really, it doesn't really even get broached, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, like, someone mentions the possibility of sleepwalking or something, but uh, they don't really dig into it. They mostly just run with it being yeah. fucking creepy. Uh, so, night 17, uh... This is. Uh, I think this may have been the one where I was really thinking about the the door because nothing was happening. So we've got fast forward, uh, Katie and, and Mika uh, twitching in the bed, uh, and then the hall. There's. I honestly could not tell. Uh, this is when they're waiting for the the, the baby the, the the baby powder footstep thing. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Um, and so you're waiting, and there's there's a little bit of visual noise over there, but it's this is like a real three ply mystery for me. Is what we were seeing a really, really subtle, like digital manipulation, uh, demon like movement thing they were trying to suggest? Or was it a JPEG artifact in the found footage? Or was it JPEG artifacts in the digital version of the film I was watching that weren't there in the. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I can't tell if the noise was intentional or just a result of streaming film transcoding because I watched this on, you know, Amazon streaming. Uh, or if that was actually intended to be some sort of indiscernible uh, movement of pixels uh, in the in the actual you know scene. Yeah, I mean that's and and, and you know that's not an accident either. I, I think the one thing that it's 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 sort of like I well not for me because I've seen way too many fucking movies, but you know when you're watching a found footage movie, it's it sometimes it sometimes slips your mind that everything that that nothing that you see in a movie is happening by accident. Like, or rather, very few things. And if you noticed it, like, and it's a movie that's not terrible, that you know, where you know, if it's a movie where the people making it clearly gave a shit, 
if you notice something, it's it's meant to be noticed, and I think that's when um, the movie. St- it's like it, with with that, with like the it's like you know it's dark. It's like what is really going on? You're not sure, and that's when the movie you know again plays with you as the viewer of of not a a, a Hollywood film, but of like a bunch of VHS or DVDs or you know yeah. digital files that that somebody found, and somehow you're in possession of these now. Yeah, the film can um, capitalize you, on that ambiguity. Yeah, I mean, like, if you're watching this movie, like, in the theater, maybe a little less, but if you're, like, renting this movie and you take home the DVD and you put in your DVD player, like, you become the framing device for the movie, which yeah. I think is uh, it, it's, it's a pretty good idea. And, you know, with, with something like that, you know, I, I have no fucking idea what it was. You know, I, I saw something um, or, you know, I thought I saw something. Yeah. But that's 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 you know I thought I saw something might might as well be like a tagline to this movie exactly while while you're staring into the dark hallway, uh, yeah, and you think you think maybe you saw something while you were staring attentively while terrified you know at a dark space on the screen so yeah it's it's kind of it's nicely done. Uh, the rest of the nights there's there's really four more nights and and at that point it really that starts being the rest of the film. Um, you know, there's 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 still some interstitial stuff between the night footage, but uh, but at this point it stops being like that little scene and starts being most of the scene. Uh, night eighteen, right. there's a light that goes on in the hallway, and then footstep noises, and then the light goes out, and the door slams, and there's fast footsteps and pounding at the door, and Katie's all mic. That's when it turns it. out that the demon is actually your shitty roommate from college. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and there's some running around and big thumps and whatnot. And I don't know. I mean, at this point, just, you know, rewatch the last third of the movie. Yeah. Uh, we won't describe the entire thing. Uh, but that's when something punches the picture of, of Mika. Uh, yeah. And, and that, that was... grass over his face. And, uh, night 19 is the thing under the covers at one thirty three, And then at three Oh three, uh, the light turns on down the hall and then off and there's a subtle actual shadow like un, un, unambiguously uh, a shadow on the, the bedroom door and then a rumble and Katie wakes up um, and then they immediately uh, they, they immediately follow up with having them talk about that footage again which I felt conflicted by this point in the film that they were doing that because on the one hand I like the fact that they were portrayed as actively engaging in the film that they were taking because I can't fucking stand the idea that someone would be combining the power of documenting in real time the horrific nature of things and also just apparently not wanting to go to the tape when they have questions <laughs> yeah. about stuff. So, so yeah, I'm sort of sitting there like, you don't need to show me, Mika, you don't need to show me the shadow. I saw it. But there was, it's a static shot. All I was doing was watching that fucking shadow. You know, we don't need to go over it. But it was a short scene. So I, I just – I found it funny that also, I was annoyed. You know, yeah, I mean, Mika is – he exists to annoy both yeah, Katie and the audience. Yeah, he's. I, and, I have so much to say about how much I don't like him, which is yeah. And I, I'm actually really torn between whether I don't like the 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 character in the sense that like his presence in the movie is making the movie less enjoyable for me, or if you know I don't like him in the way that you know like you don't like somebody in a horror movie and then you're you're almost gleeful to watch them get it. Because yeah, it's, it's tricky. It, yeah, yeah. There's there's so little context to it. It's just you know these are these are just two people, and one of them happens to be haunted. 
Um, and, you know, like you get little hints about who they are, but everything else is just, you know, what they say and what they do. And he is just such a shit. That, he's, he's um, really, they, should, they could have called this film like paranormal mansplainity. You yep. know, he just, he will not shut the fuck up. He does not compromise. But here, okay, so here's my complaint about Mika there. Cause, cause yeah, this is, this is a big part of the film experience. And, and I don't know if it's something that actually is bad about the film or something that is just predictably, you know, affecting about the film. And people will generally probably largely agree on this is he really is a horrible, uninteresting, uncompromising, non-listening douchebag. And it's the thing that bothers me about it that I haven't made up my mind how I feel about being bothered by it is I think it's mostly that he's just not an interesting douchebag. Like, like it's not a, it's, there's no interesting portrait in, you know, pathological narcissism or something here. We don't, we don't get anything served up to us that says, this is why, this is why you're watching this guy be such an intractable douche nozzle. You know, and yeah. that was what I felt. Like I didn't get a payoff on the character to be like, oh, well, okay, he was fucking intolerable, but it's interesting because, like, there was no explanation there for Murray. He was just a really annoying dude. I, I think I, I'm wondering how much of that was out of necessity just yeah. because something had, you know, the movie has to have momentum. Otherwise, it's not a movie. You know, it's, it's something's got to be driving the plot forward. And, um, you know, like, the demon just by itself for no reason getting worse. Uh, you know what? That they they could have played it like that, and I and I think that would have been you know that would have fucked with your just suspension of disbelief for a bit. It's like, well, why is it you know happening now? Like, to just that why would just as the audience like you would be saying why 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 so much that that it would it would take you out of the movie just because you know when you leave so much unsaid there there's a breaking point to that, and I think just not explaining why the haunting was getting worse would have been that kind of breaking point. So something had to have you know so, something has to be triggering it, and in this case, it happens. To to be just like Mika specifically, you know, like explicitly on camera taunting the happy fun ball. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, he's, it's, it's, you know, when, when he's like, you know, videotaping the door and just moving it back and forth, he's like, so what the fuck's the point of this? This all you got? It was almost like a, like a Homer Simpson level of like, bad idea in what you're taunting. Yeah. It's like, you know, what are you going to do? Set out the dogs or the bees or the dogs with bees in their mouths and they shoot bees when they bark? Um, it, it was like that level. And I think, you know, up until that point when he just it started, you know, ridiculing the, 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 the horrible demon presence, I was just like, all right, maybe he's just shitty. It's like, I'm like, no, he's like shitty for plot purposes. Yeah, and that's and the like, thing. Yeah, it's it's like there's this there's this it's hard to get away from the idea that some of the more frustrating aspects of just the characterization of the and the the specific things the characters do mostly come from necessity because like I feel like they've got ninety percent of a really solid sure let's run with this you know th- this premise dynamic and then ten percent of just like kind of frustratingly obviously contrived shitty behavior. Uh, the fact that Katie puts up with him like is is almost and I, really good naturedly too. Like at, at no point does he reveal anything. Um, what do you call it? Any uh, redeeming qualities of his personality to which Katie would be so attached? Because she takes a lot of his like shitty behavior with like either lo- with a, with a good genuinely like good natured vibe, which 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 makes you think that you know there's got to be something there. But at no point do we see why. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
I like that they made him a day trader. I mean, it, it seriously, it, it, it dates the movie very much, but like, you know, around that time, like, day trader was, was nearly synonymous with asshole. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was pretty interesting. Asshole with a lot of money to spend. I liked the, yeah. the, 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 the really, real, real light characterization there that they established mm-hmm. he's a day trader by using the word day trader at some point. Yep. You know, he's a day trader. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they established that he's doing pretty good off it. Uh, by the fact that he's like, how much did that camera cost you? With the implication that is an expensive looking camera. And he says, oh, about half of what I made today, which implies make and bank. Uh, and that's like, that's, yeah, that's I think all we got I, about it. Like, that was I, like. I, I, I feel like that might have, that was, that specific line was a little bit of an overreach on, on the director's point. And I mean, or maybe the actress, because the movie's retro scripted. Um, and if you're listening to this, you don't know what retro scripting is. Uh, if you think of well, the Blair Witch Project, but also stuff like uh, Christopher Guest movies, like A Mighty Wind, and um, uh, what do you call it? I don't think Spinal Tap was retro scripted, and also he only produced that one. But uh, Mighty Wind and ah, fuck Best in Show. Uh, basically, like the actors are given an idea of what's going to happen in the scene. Like they're given, you know, it's like this is what happens in the scene, and then. You, you just act. You the it, it's it's not exactly improvising, but it, it's very close. So I, I don't know if that like half as much that made today was a joke. I'm you know with, that they wanted in there because here's the thing: I have no fucking idea how much a camera costs. So I I don't even know where to scale that. It's like all right, did you make a thousand dollars today? Because a really good camera costs five hundred dollars, or does a really good camera cost like twelve thousand let, dollars? Let, let's assume that he was buying uh, a solid solid prosumer uh, camera that could shoot uh, full motion video at, 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 at HD. So probably we're talking about like a Canon, uh, Canon 5D Mark II, maybe 2007, that would have been plausible. And I think at the time that was like a, maybe three or $4,000 camera. Um, plus, you know, uh, probably a thousand for lenses and, and lights and whatnot from what we saw in the film. Uh, so, you know, it's several thousand dollars, implying he made more than that that day. But then again, maybe if he's a day trader, he has his ups and his downs, and maybe it was just a good day. You know, it could be not so much I, saying, deduce my yearly income by multiplying the retail cost of this by $720 or $720. Um, it right. could have just been like, you know, more like, hey, I had a good day and uh, spend some money, bro. And also, uh, Katie pulls up in a convertible, which is just movie language for, you know, we're doing pretty good. Yep. Um, yeah, San Diego you know, is probably a pretty good town for driving a convertible too. So, yeah, yeah, the 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 uh, what do you call it? The psycho guy is like, shit. I'm not going to turn uh, turn down a uh, chance to just drive into San Diego. I assume like the drive is nice enough that it would be worth it. Um, I Southern California is. I I live there and it's still a mystery to me. Uh, what people do, <laughs> just car culture, like the Southern or just, yeah, the Southern California car culture thing is just such a fucking mystery to me. I, I lived among their people for a year as an anthropologist. Um. Uh. Well. Yeah. And and I got nothing. Um. Oh, you know, the, the, I was going to say another thing. So it's uh, somebody on the uh, Facebook group mentioned that it's just you know like a suburban horror story, and I think that's a big point in that this is. I mean, it's it's it's. In the, the, the mythos of the film, it's not a haunted house movie. It's not the house that's haunted. Katie's yeah. haunted. She takes it everywhere with her. So it wouldn't matter what house she was in. Any house that she's in when this thing is acting up would be a haunted house. But there's something to be said about the haunted house being like a straight-up McMansion. Yeah. 
um, you know, it's like you're not you're not getting the you know like the cobwebby, spooky sort of. It's like we have to spend one night in a haunted house, or like you know we're locked in this crazy rich person's house, like in a what do you call it? Um, devil shadow. Did no. Uh, uh, <laughs> Ah. The, the the house of the devil house of the devil yeah, yeah. it's not like you know like, like this gothically spooky house it's yeah or was it just like, like the house on the hill or the mansion on the hill or something like that yeah yeah it was um it, it's just like this it's it's anybody's house it's yeah it's, it, it's totally unremarkable it's a, it's just yeah. a random banal suburban house sort of thing yeah the director actually had to like spend a year making it look more inhabited for the movie because that's his house but i guess he didn't have a lot of furniture <laughs> or like it wasn't painted it's just so they, him and the ghosts painted. you know yeah <laughs> yeah it's enough company um and then uh yeah i'm just trying to think of other like signs of their affluence uh you know they've got like the crazy good computer setup that's implied you know it's got firewire but it's not a mac mm-hmm uh wait yeah, was firewire know. yeah fire, fire, fire. yeah yeah firewire was a mac specific Pro- thing like i mean you know you can get firewire on other stuff but it yeah was, yeah but yeah it was it was it was usually a mac yeah that, anyway. that, um and he's, he had that fancy guitar oh and so he buys this thing that he claims is an evp recorder and the movie doesn't clarify this but uh, so evp electronic voice phenomenon it's this ghost hunting thing and ghost hunting i mean like real life our world people who purport to hunt ghosts this is a thing that it just it, it records across more frequencies or i don't fucking know how it works it's a, but it's basically it's just a fancy microphone hooked up to a recorder uh you can buy these things you can buy them on amazon i went on amazon um and i found one and it's out of stock and it, but it's just got so many five star ratings of people who are just like yeah it totally works i'm getting voices on this thing all over the place um and then there was just this one like there was another review that was just like well you know it takes some time to be able to discern the voices from the static but when you figure it out you'll hear them and then just one three star review they're like well i guess it's a good recorder but i just can't seem to get it to work <laughs> you know i'm not here hearing anything can anybody give me a hand with this and it's just like the amount of buy-in into the and these don't read like fake amazon reviews either so there there's there's a lot of buy-in into that concept and in this movie it works which was something that was pretty cool to see yeah um but yeah Apoph- but yeah he, he, he bought like specifically a, a a ghost a piece of ghost hunting equipment that has no use then no like real use otherwise as as other than like a microphone yeah which is funny from i don't know it's like yeah a little bit of inconsistency in his character where on the one hand he's super dismissive but, and yet for some reason he's the one who's going out and buying ghost hunting equipment it's a little bit weird but uh yeah yeah that was that was another thing with his character like he's 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 drank the Kool Aid on this. He has no doubt that you know his girlfriend's telling him the truth. He's investing a lot of time and money and energy into capturing this ghost, but he won't speak with the demonologist because man, you know, psychics and demonologists—that's just bullshit. This 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 demon that we have here—it's real. The study of the thing that we have not real. Yeah. You know, it, it was it was just you know, and it was. Th- you get the sense of these just like, oh, I don't need a fucking professional. I'm going to fix this myself, sort of like manly thing. Not where, even sense. Uh, At one point, he starts basically yeah. really, really explicitly sort of shouting about that late in the film. Uh, and yeah, it, it was like, ah, God, it's like, it, again, like he's just not 
there's nothing interesting about his egoism. We don't we don't even get a really clear picture. Like like there's the implication that if he's like oh, uh, I'll take care of this, you know, it's probably you know some sort of projection and, and and trying to you know sort of sublimate a fear response. You know, obviously he's scared by this stuff, but it doesn't even come out in an interesting sort of fractured sort of way. He just seems like now the douchebag thing he's going to do is yell macho stuff. You know, it wasn't even like, you know, let's get into like the interesting portrait of him starting to lose his mind about this. He just, he just picks, like he throws a dart at a different, you know, spot on the dartboard of annoying fucking ways to behave. Yeah, and the, there's the uh, the scene where they talk about um, where she's just like, "Look, we got to shut all this camera stuff down because it's making everything worse." And he's just like, "Well," and he just like starts guilting her, being like, "Well, you know, yeah, maybe if you told you know, me you, before we moved in together, yeah, or you know, ever, or you know, on any of our dates or anything." And then she just sort of goes with it. It's just like, no, that's that's not. I mean, sure, maybe you should have done that, but there's not. That does not, you know, give him the right to 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 summon a demon into your house. Yeah, that's already like halfway in there. Uh, here's a proposal. Uh, here, this is a way to explain Katie's ongoing lack of expressions of agency in the film. Because like the closest she gets is a couple times when she gets angry enough at him that he like at one point he does even turn off the camera at one point, you know, which is notable. And that's like, that's the one give. Like, you know, she gets angry. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. Chases after her. You know, that's when the Ouija board thing is because she takes off. He goes with her. Um, you know, there's a few things like that. But but then she always she always comes back to folding and compromising. My proposal is she has been low-level possessed the whole time. Her All her dithering lack of agency and willing to sort of fold over on it is some little bit of the demon that is in her and does want him to go ahead and keep setting up wants Mika to keep fucking with him to set up the connection so it can come through and and so all of her shockingly tolerant you know bullshit about his terrible behavior is actually just the demon sort of nudging her with a little bit of the eh, you know what but he's just kind of a fucking idiot you know but you love him so you know you can forgive him he doesn't have to turn off the camera i mean it's okay if he does a little bit more you know that's that's what it's whispering in her ear at night you know when she hears something it's it's not just saying katie it's saying katie it's okay. He's a nice guy, you know, and and so that's why that's why it all escalates because it got a foot in the door, and and so she was nudged into putting up with the. Uh, this is essentially you could look at all of Mika's behavior as an elaborate, uh, sloppy ritual, you know, instead of like you know, uh, you know, boiling some chicken blood and throwing in some eye of newt and saying the magic words. He's doing the much more modern, much more uh, loosey-goosey work with what you can get. Be an annoying motherfucker ritual, uh, which is sufficient to summon the demon, basically. Yeah, I mean, actually, the psychic at one point says it's like, you know, it it, it feeds on negative vibes or, you know, like bad energy. So if there's any bad energy, that'll bring it out more. And then there's literally like a beat where it's just like, (laughs) like, oh, I got you. Yeah, so I mean, it could be that. I just I I posted this on on Facebook, I think, but like the a lot of the movie just comes off as just this is you know one of those like imaginary friend comes to life movies like uh, Harvey or, or or Drop Dead Fred. I don't know why those are the only two I can think of at the moment. Um, but yeah, and you know like the you know the imaginary friend like teaches the protagonist how to have self esteem and believe in themselves, and then you know when it's time to go, it's time to go, and it's sad. And this movie is kind of like that, except instead of just like. It, 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 the, the imaginary friend is 
really just not great at people because it's a demon and not human. And it's just trying to scare off Katie's really shitty boyfriend. Um, and it, you know, eventually it, it succeeds um, because, you know, it possesses her and, and she murders him. But, you know, I feel like the whole thing was just like supposed to be like a thing whispering to him, get out. But instead yeah. it just it has to go through her um, to get to him. Because it never, you know, I don't think it, it never like throws him around. It never does anything to him directly. Yeah. Right. Like, like, like yeah, I don't think it does. Um, he never gets touched as far as I can tell by the demon. Like his photo does, but that's, you know, the demon can do things, but like the only person it's, it seems to be able to have any control over is Katie. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, one thing that occurred to me, and this occurs to me every time I'm watching any sort of found footage thing is there's inevitably the scene and we talked about with this with VHS too, which did it to a sometimes problematic degree. But the whole pointing the camera at the girl and like, eh, and, and she's like, uh, implication of, hey, what if we uh, had a little bit of a sex tape thing going on here? Uh, and then, and then inevitably it's, it's turned down with sort of kind of a like, oh, Jesus, really? Are you fucking, um, sort of, sort of attitude? But it occurs to me there's got to be like a million porn, uh, parodies of, of this genre because all you have to do is like set up the first, like, 30 seconds the exact same way but then say yeah let's do that let's have sex on camera and boom then you just you know go into the porn I just, I just pictured that and then I just you know I just pictured like static shots same thing except it's people fucking and then just like through the door like uh, somebody comes in and like one of those like really like simple like sheet with a hole cut it cut uh, what is sheet with like holes cut into a ghost <laughs> costume with like a visible erection and joints <laughs> it could have a hole in the sheet oh, oh there we go uh, <laughs> there's a pool in this movie and I'm just looking through my notes at this point now. There's a pool in the movie, but they do nothing with it. And, uh, that sort of had me waiting. There's for a it lot of, there's, there's a lot of cut scenes that were both like finished and non-finished. Cause there's the, the difference between the two in this movie is, you know, like the, 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 there's not a big difference between production footage and post-production footage in this movie, except for specific scenes. So they shot something like 70 hours. It was shot yeah. for, you know, seven days, um, 70 hours of footage. So there's a bunch of stuff that got cut, uh, like tons and tons. And a lot of it is documented, um, especially because there's like three or four different cuts of this movie. Um, like before Paramount got it, after Paramount got it, like a different cut. Um, and, the, and they're all like, they've all got different stuff in them. Uh, including the the demonologist was actually supposed to be in the movie and they shot it. Um, <laughs> they took it out. I don't know. I, I think the, the the movie paced as it is and you know with with everything the way it happens is you know I can I, I I can't see how having more stuff in it would make the movie better or like more characters. Like I think three is good just because you get that third character that you know really just straight up confirms that this isn't like Folia do or something. Yeah. Um, where, you know, like in the beginning, it's like, all right, you know, maybe he's, he's, you know, maybe he's a, uh, what do you call it? Con artist. Maybe he knows what he's talking about. Like in the, in the, in the fiction of the movie, they don't really, there's no read on him in that first scene that he's in the psychic. Um, and then in the second scene where he comes in and then he's immediately like, Oh, you're on your own kids. Yeah. Uh, and just bolts out of there. It's just like, all right, you know, it's like, he's useful for something because none of that reaction was, uh, you know, like if he was a scam artist, like he would use that reaction to sell them more ghost hunting equipment. Yeah. Uh, and instead he just bolts out of there. So yeah, which is nice. It's a good touch. Yeah. And, oh yeah. And then there was the friend, the, the, the friend. And I think, uh, you know, I guess that was just 
to show... Well, I mean, the, the, the friend seems to have existed just to amplify how much of an asshole Micah is. Because <laughs> he much. keeps interrupting them, like, as yep. they're trying to just, like, socialize and maybe not think about the ghost or the demon. And he just, you know, keeps ruining it. Uh, so, I, you know, that entire character just serves the purpose of, you know, making uh, Micah look shittier. Yep. Yeah, that was, that was yeah Amber played by Amber Armstrong. This is a thing as we didn't actually say this, but so so Mika Sloat and uh, Katie Featherston mm-hmm. uh, are listed in fact as the actors on Netflix, and I thought that was a cute little touch that oh not only are there no credits but they're also listing the actual characters as the actors in the film. But no, that's actually they just use the actual actors' names in the film. So yeah. Mika Sloat was played by Mika Sloat, Katie Featherston by Katie Featherston, which is funny because then they've got this pile of credits for all the paranormal activity films, uh, which I don't know how much, I don't remember Mika or Katie being, uh, characters particularly in, in the second film. Uh, but I think they were in there somewhere. So I don't know if it was like a mix of like a little bit of archival footage throwback or if they actually had cameos that I'm forgetting about or what, but, uh, but yeah, Mika apparently appears in both two and uh, Paranormal Activity, the marked ones, and Katie's got some sort of appearance in all of them. It looks like. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of interesting that they these actors who had basically no credited careers prior to these films mm-hmm. uh, now have IMDb pages and credits associated entirely with these films, in which they play themselves as fake versions of themselves. So it's got, it's got to be a strange sort of. Uh, situation to be in. I just think it's kind of yeah. an odd thing. Also, yeah, the, I was just going to say about the, the, the actors like that. That's another thing that's sort of, um, you know, the, you, you know, you get these actors that are the same names as the characters. He's like, Oh, you know, the director just grabbed a couple of kids off the street and they did this. But you know, that's, that's just another one of those like inconspicuous effort things where they auditioned like hundreds of people apparently for these two roles until they got like the perfect ones. And it just so happened that they're, well, it's not that it just so happened, but it was specifically for like non totally professional actors, but there was a lot of work put into making, sh- making these two people appear in the movie, Yeah, which I think is also kind of, and their chemistry is, you know, it's 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 good in that it's somewhat believable. Usually, if you ignore a couple of things that you know happen in real life, too, you know, people put up with you know surprisingly shitty behavior from their significant others with like good nature uh, in real life. So it's it's you know, I think it'd be more. It's just less believable in a movie um, because uh, what do you call it? Because you think. That the the there would be more uh, what do you call it more motivation for a character in a movie than yeah. there is in real life. Yeah, like like, like someone's sort of just banal kind of shitty relationship that they just stay mm-hmm. in 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 real life. It's like whatever. Okay, people are in shitty relationships yeah. sometimes. You know, it happens. But yeah, in a movie, it's like why are we watching this yeah. shitty relationship? And it, it, I think that is part of why it's grating because like I can totally believe in in. Mika as some guy who's kind of a D-bag uh, pseudo-fiancé of someone I know uh, and whatever, you know, they they like each other, they drive each other crazy, they're, you know, afraid of, uh, you know, being alone, they have other, they, they really enjoy traveling together, whatever. I'm sure everybody's got their reasons, every relationship is ongoing until it's not, and you can believe it. But yeah, in a movie, it's like, why exactly are we yeah. having to think about their shitty relationship, you know, and the shittiness of their relationship 
uh, again, it never really becomes interesting. Like that's that's my biggest criticism there, and it ties into to Mika being so tiresome. Is it really feels like it is ultimately something where we got to see this because it was necessary to tell the story they wanted it to tell, and the sort of story they told with in terms of the camera stuff and the 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 demon spookiness was good and worth it. Like especially for uh, a cheaply made film like this and the difficulty of doing the sort of like improv and, and retro scripting thing, I have to assume is enormous. Uh, so it's easy to complain about it, but they got it done. You know, the, the, the film works. It's just, it is, that's the one thing that was hard for me to get away from. Like my suspension of disbelief was not so much that a demon was haunting a girl her entire life as that he would really grab the camera, you know, it was like, or, or that, you know, she would not tell him to go, you know, fuck himself. You know, it's like, it's funny that those are the things that as much as anything drew me out of the movie when I was drawn out of it was just like what a D bag he was. And the fact that they were still in a relationship. Yeah. They, uh, and I'm trying, I'm trying to think of if where it, yeah, he's, he's just constantly trying to get her to screw on camera and they, they really, you know, there's that, that I think that part of it was really kind of weird because you know at one point he actually like either jokingly or actually tries to surreptitiously record them having sex and yeah. she's like that's not the standby light asshole yeah um, and it, it was weird because it was such a recurring thread that you think there'd be payoff for it, and I could not think of any good payoff for that no, like there was the none. entire situation is just you know like I, I didn't want to be present throughout the entire situation of that but, but yeah there was there was no payoff to it so I'm just like wondering it's like why did they short of you know making him out to be an asshole it's like why was there so much emphasis on that yeah um and you know it's, it's another one that was like in real life all right you know asshole with a girlfriend gets a camera yes this is he's going to be, be bothering her incessantly about screwing on camera but like in part of a movie it's just like all right uh why are you taking time out of the movie for this. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's see. What else? I had a pile of little notes about things. I have one note that just has the words cow net in huge letters, and I don't know what it means. <laughs> I don't know if I can help you out there, because, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know, uh, it's, I, I have this note in is. between, yeah, in between, like, <laughs> night, the, the, the first night's activity, and after, like, in between it, I have, I mean, it's in between something that says night one, gasp, question mark, and the word spooky keys, and it's just CalNet, huge letters, no idea. Just CalNet. Oh, yeah, Cal- the keys were on the floor in the, in the morning, they found mm-hmm. it there. Yeah, and then he's just like, oh, so it's like this is incontrovertible proof that, you know, that there's a ghost and it came here for the purpose of knocking your keys to the ground. And he's totally right. (laughs) That's it. Like, if you say that without sarcasm, that's what happened. Yep. Um, uh, So we watched this uh, last night. I didn't quite do it like watching it late at night, but I also didn't do it watching it hungover at 7 o'clock in the morning, which I thought was probably going to be the worst possible context to like engage with the film because i'd seen it before too so i wasn't like going to be totally surprised by everything so i mm-hmm. we watched it last night uh, in the evening sun uh, was still up when we started watching it and was down by the time we finished uh just setting the scene apparently i need to set the scene <laughs> but anyway my uh, my wife noted uh you know 10 minutes in that like even setting aside the whole horror movie thing and separating out her knowledge that you know what we were going to watch is a horror movie thing uh she found the film rewatching it uh, just to be unsettling before anything scary had happened. Uh, really, 
uh, just because of the in-your-face shooting and the invasiveness of the camera. You know, it's like that was unsettling enough in an empathetic way. It's like she would be so uncomfortable having someone constantly shoving a camera in her face. And I think a lot of people are likely to feel that way. Like, I don't know that I have as strong of a reaction to it, but I definitely see uh, that thing. And it's interesting that I, I would say independent of the sort of horror movie trappings, even though it's also somewhat central to the horror movie thing, because camera misdirection and, and uncomfortable framing are certainly a big part of the language of, of film horror. Uh, but yeah, just the fact that shaky cam getting in someone's face being kind of invading personal space is by itself enough to sort of set someone on edge a little bit. Um, is maybe part of the attraction of, of, of this genre is like, it, it gives you a little bit of a head start on just having people feeling off kilter. Although a lot of people react to that by saying, yeah, I don't like watching those movies, not because they're too scary, but because fuck it. I don't want to, you know, put up with that camera movement. Yeah. It, 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 um, what do you call it? Just the, the, the sense of voyeurism that you get from just like found footage movies is, you know, it's, it, it, because I mean, there's the I don't know if found footage falls under the mockumentary you know umbrella or if they're related. But like when you watch a mockumentary, the, the the cameras are meant to stay out of the way. Like the camera should not be interacting with it. It should be you know uh, like a sociology experiment where you you know if you're going to have cameras there recording the thing that's happening, they should be out of the way. Or unless you're interviewing, in which case you get something like The Office. Or you get, you know, found footage like something like Cloverfield or, or Blair Witch where somebody has a camera, but it, 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 not a lot happens with it. Like it just, you know, there's a camera strapped to them where they're holding it and, and it's an integral part of their experience because whoever has the camera is clearly using it as a, uh, what do you call it? Like a coping device, which I think less obvious in Blair Witch, really obvious in Cloverfield, yeah. where like the only thing that keeps the main character going there is the fact that he's recording everything that he makes a, you know, that they, they make that pretty apparent. But in this one, like, you know, Mike is just like straight up like paparazzi style in her face with this camera. And it's, you know, and then there's a couple of shots of like him in the mirror with the camera. And it's clearly like this big device thing. It's not like, you know, he's not like holding a little box to his, to his eye. It's, it's, you know, a setup. He's got a, it's a rig basically. Um, I mean, it's short of like a real camera rig, but you know, it's, 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 it's a lot of equipment. And I think, you know, the, the conspicuousness of the camera itself just as an object really adds something to it because it's pissing Katie off and it's, it's pissing Katie off and such, but at the same time, Micah makes it clear that like that camera is almost like a part of him because, you know, when she like screams out, she's like, ah, but it turns out to be a spider, but he still goes to grab that camera anyway. It's like yeah. almost that, like that Seinfeld like thing. When it's like, wait, you stopped to get candy before you came to see me in the hospital sort of thing. Um, <laughs> where, yeah. And it's just like Micah's just behavior with that camera you know, like the camera makes you into an asshole that are the person that are, that's watching it because it's being commanded by an asshole in a way that's really obvious and not at all like documentary style. Yeah. It's the asshole gaze. <laughs> um, yep. <laughs> I'm going <gonna, laughs> to start teaching film theory. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, no, actually, it was it was the spider scene and him going into the camera. And as a viewer, I'm saying, really, you're getting the fucking camera. And then he goes and she's like, really, you got the fucking camera. Uh, <laughs> and, and like that was actually where I made a more explicit note, basically saying, is Katie patient with Micah's skeptical dickery because it's actually any good for the characters or just because the plot requires it? Because that, that scene felt like it was almost like having – at that point, the movie knew it had to answer a little bit more directly – this level of sort of obsession on 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 Mika's part to have the camera and actually like really put a fine point on it, which it then continued to do you know further on too. But uh, still, that felt like a, a moment that was like, yeah, uh, we're going to talk about this. Yeah. Uh, I liked his coloring book. It was a pretty sweet demon coloring. Oh, book the uh, a child's garden of demons. <laughs> yeah, that's an actual <laughs> book. It's a it's a picture book. It's like twelve bucks on Amazon. I'm really tempted to buy it because those illustrations were awesome. Um, but it is in fact a picture book. So I'm this. So I, I like that when he was like thumbing it, and it's clearly a picture book. It's like it's like yep. Well, we got here's a demon, and I'm just like, hey, you know who would have been able to tell you that? Like two days ago, <laughs> the demonologist you didn't want here. <laughs> Uh, so we don't need no fancy college-educated demonologist. I'm going to get a couple of books from the library I'll and some myself. Uh, two by fours from Home Depot. I'll make my own demon. That, Wait, that, okay. This, that, this is actually another major thematic uh, theory I have for the film. Uh, it could be read as a lot of a lot of Mika's behavior uh, with the camera and in general. Mm. Uh, the fact that this is a one-camera film that we end up watching. Uh, you know, just moving around from place to place, but it's all one camera, one cameraman. Uh, I feel like the film could be read as sort of a, a criticism of the auteur uh, approach to filmmaking, which is funny given that it's very much a tiny cast independent auteur film. Uh, but, you know, it's like Mika's downfall here is in part the fact that he refuses to acknowledge film as a collaborative medium. So the fact that he insists on having no uh, second unit, essentially having no uh, assistant director for any of this, it's all Mika's going to do it himself, both in terms of filming stuff and in terms of the more generic question of dealing with these problems and dealing with them in the way that he terms best. I think it could all be read specifically as basically saying, look at the arrogant filmmaker. They limit their ability to succeed by insisting on being so DIY and self-contained. So it's sort of a weird fucking Ouroboros uh, reference to itself almost that would be more effective if the film had been worse. Yeah. Uh, you know, if the film had been a total failure, then it would have been a beautiful success. <laughs> you know, I was definitely getting like the, the, the feel of, um, you know, uh, what is it? Kubrick getting up on a ladder and manually adjusting the lights onto the scene uh, from from this movie, and just like the sense of the placement of things, just was slightly less skilled. The um, there's there's a good like ten fifteen second shot of just uh, Mika in front of the camera adjusting something, and like his t shirt that says Coin Net on it is in you know right in your fucking face. If you're in a movie theater, it'd be like, you know, 10 feet long and two, three feet tall. And I have no idea what the hell that was about. Like, I tried to look it up. Um, I, I, I couldn't tell if CoinNet was a real thing or a movie thing because there's a thing called CoinNet, but I, I no idea. Um, and I was just, the, that, that actually, you know, like that little bit of possibly product placement um, took me out of it for a second. See, and I, it's interesting. I, I sort of saw it, but ignored it. Like it, it, it ended up meaning nothing to me. Uh, I guess the implication is, 
Yeah, it could in fact be someone's uh, well dealer dealer trading network for coins online. That doesn't sound like it. It, it could have been like a implied uh, oh hey his I, day trading situation maybe like you know. I found an interview with him. He says uh, he was a computer programmer. He was doing PHP and Ajax for CoinNet, which is a website similar to eBay. All right. Um, so I guess that was his shirt. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wonder why, why would I even assume that this movie had a wardrobe? <laughs> That's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah, and, okay, this is another thing I want to talk about, like about this movie and with the, the sequels. Um, and again, something I th- think the sequels did more aggressively with the extra cameras uh, is there's the the tendency to throw in uh, red herrings, and then the question of is it actually a red herring in the sense that we think of it, or is it just the fact that the style of the film and the static shots and the staring at everything and sort of trying to pick apart the scene turns things that would just be set dressing in any other context into red herrings? Like you know the things like we saw the pool, and and it sounds like maybe the explanation of this is that. They just may have had a pool scene that got cut from what you're saying. Um, but we've got a pool and then we never see anything happen with the pool. So it's established and then just ignored. There's a lot of uh, setting up a possible reference and then letting it go. And I feel like especially in the second film, there's a lot of static shots where nothing ends up happening in a portion of a shot just because they had a bunch of shots to work with. And so they didn't necessarily right. need to. Uh, I remember staring very long and close at a mirror in one scene in Paranormal Activity 2, just waiting for the thing to happen that never happened. And I don't know it's that it's necessarily because they changed something and thought they were going to use that or because they set that up specifically because they wanted you to feel that way or if it was just a fucking mirror. You know, I mean, I think to some extent you think about the element of each of your static shots that you're going to use like that as repeating views, but at the same time, I might be trying to require them to have thought way more about some of the things that they did nothing with than they did. Cause why would they think about it if they weren't going to do anything with it? So it's, it's just, right. it's, it's an exercise in overthinking almost. Yeah. There's, I, th- I mean, I mean, I think that might be an inherent problem of like the found footage genre where whoever's carrying the camera, uh, camera is a character who's also in the movie. So like kind of unlike Cloverfield, cause HUD, uh, the guy who's carrying the camera, uh, doesn't really do too much, say, for carry the camera. And I think in Blair Witch, they pass it around between each other, so you get a sense of who all the characters are. So, you know, when you go see just, like, your average whatever movie, like, if you don't know who the director is, you know, whatever's happening with the camera, that's what's happening. If there's a scene that you think is, like, a throwaway scene, it's like, well, you know, whatever. It's a throwaway scene. If you... It, but when you when you go into a found footage movie where whoever's handling the camera is a a character and has the ability to you know put it up and down and where it's clearly a burden to continue shooting things it's not like within VHS when he had like the, the kid with like the big glasses of the camera in it where it was you know he there was no effort to recording anything so he could have seen captured anything he saw and you wouldn't need to explain why it's like well he captured that because that's the way his head turned and then you know only past that it's like well why did the director choose that and then you know that's it you, you don't get that far if you're not overthinking it but if you're if you're watching it and, you know, like, you've got a character who's got a, you know, a personality, he's got characterization, he's got motivation, if it's a decent enough movie, you're aware of what it is, whether it's, you know, bad or not. Um, and, you know, in this movie, we know what Mike's motivation is, even though we're not entirely sure why. Um, but when um, when you see something and you don't know why you saw it and the movie never actually pays off on it, that takes you out of it a bit more because you know who's shooting this movie. 
it's this guy in this movie that the movie is is bringing to life for you. So I, I think it's harder to have a throwaway scene in, in, in a movie like that because, you know, you like you as in like the average person watching it then gets that like film buff annoyance of when you know who the director of a movie is and they do something and you're just like, why did this guy do that thing? And it bugs yeah. you. You know, it brings that sort of like bit of being a little too into movies into a movie for everybody or like that feeling for everybody to experience. And it's not a great, you know, that's not, if you enjoy that sort of thing, you, you, you enjoy it in spite of what it is. Like it doesn't add anything to the movie to try to figure out why the director did something that's not comprehensible to you or enjoyable where like you're, you're, you're watching something and where you, you know that there's either no reason for it to have happened or you know that there's no satisfactory reason for yeah. you for why it's happened. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And then, you know, when, when you actually have a care, when you actually have somebody like a, a, a human being with a personality to apply that annoyance to, like we do in this movie, I think it makes it a little harder to, to, to enjoy. It's an interesting thing. Uh, I, I, I always feel like that, that, that's one of the big questions for me with every found footage movie uh, is I have a hard time not tr- sitting down and trying. And I think I mentioned this previously uh, in, in an older episode, but basically I have a hard time not really trying to figure out, you know, who the editor is. Cause that's, that's part of the, that's, yeah. that's part of the thing that's hard. I mean, it's easy enough to just like, just, yeah, forget about it. Just accept, okay, this is, this is the film artifact we ended up with by some means and okay, fine. Now we're watching it. But, but that doesn't, work because someone had to do the work and you know if 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 we're willing to ask the question and not just throw it away as obviously it is necessary for the purpose of a decent film that someone outside of the film does editing you know if we're going to go ahead and try and take the premise in a straight face and say okay this is found footage someone found this footage then someone sat down and edited it. And if they edited it, why did they edit it the way they did? And why is this what we ended up with? Um, and you know what? I, I, the, we, but the thing is, we, we know who edited it because we watch Micah editing it. Well, and like, that, was, that was actually a question. I didn't really yeah. – I didn't catch so much that he was actively – like obvi- we saw him review the footage a bunch. Right. I saw that. But I don't feel like – I don't feel like the movie was super explicit about the idea that he was actually editing together – a film narrative. Um, See, that's the thing. I don't know if he would be. I, I think the fact that it that it becomes a film narrative is is suspension of disbelief. Where it's like where the fact that this is you know like a a, a movie with and not, not exactly more or less a three act structure and you know like the 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 procession of a movie. It's not like it's the movie's not experimental in its it, in it in in the way it plays out. It's it's experimental in the way that it's shot and in the way that it was made. But it, the, the the plot is it's you know it's a, it's a plot. It, yeah, things happen. There's a there's a there's a climax. Um, but yeah, so it's I, I I think it's implied that he edited the footage to that he edited the footage to be interesting on review that like, if he was going to upload, you know, individual things to his YouTube account that he would have, you know, just like, it's like, all right, I'm going to fast forward through this part, but I'm going to leave it in just, you know, because, you know, the, just for the aesthetics of it, you know, fast yeah. forward, then stop. And then, and then it cuts, you know, it, it sort of made sense that, you know, he was editing it on the fly every day, which is in fact how the movie was made. It, it may have even been edited on that exact same computer. 
Uh, they might, you know, there's there's a chance that the stuff on the other monitor may have well been like the video editing software. Like it's yeah. it's that level of uh, of, of whatnot. But uh, yeah, but yeah, that makes the, the question even even stronger. It's like not only it's like why did he record this? Why did he choose to leave it in in the thing that we're watching now? Because it's sort of made clear that he's also the editor of this, and. Also, there was, uh, you know what, there's, there was a couple of fades in this movie, right? There were a few. And it's interesting yeah. that there's a, like, I found it a little bit jarring, a couple of the things that they did that really felt like, you know, the, the, the film is very, very, very uh, minimalistic about the kind of camera moves it makes and the kind of editing it moves it makes. And it's, it's mostly jump cuts uh, and some fade to black uh, you know, out and back in, and and that's 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 I would say like ninety nine percent of the scene edits of the film are those two moves, uh, and the fades are a little uh, a little bit more uncommon than the other ones, um, like not objectionably so, but it's interesting that with all those jump cuts that are mm-hmm. obviously jarring and sometimes just little ones too. I feel like there was one scene late in the movie where he's walking towards the camera from the bed and. Like they do, like do a quick like maybe cut a second like he sort of warps from one position to another in what would have just been a quick you know stop and you know pull a little bit out but it doesn't save any time you know it, it's the tiniest sort of little pacing move but it's a jarring jump cut and that helps with the aesthetic of the film I guess because it keeps you on edge um but there was one there was one time when he's looking I think at the footstep footage the. With, with the demon walking into the the bedroom, uh, where he's looking at, we, we've got a shot of Katie presumably holding the camera pointed at him as he sits at the computer looking at footage, and then we get a crossfade to a full screenshot of the footage, and then a crossfade back out to sit, him sitting at it, you know, looking at the computer. Yeah, uh, and that's the only time, as far as I could tell, in the movie that we had that sort of insert fade. Um, Every other time, we would just like fade up to footage, like you know, we go to black and then fade up into static camera footage in the in the the bedroom and then fade right. back out. So this one crossfade, it really that jumped the fuck out at me, and not in a way that made me think, oh, that's really interesting. Just like a, why would you make that move once? Why one time? Because it feels like suddenly we're watching like a National Geographic documentary right. where they're going to just you know helpfully fade to make it clear what we saw, but we already saw it because we just watched that. The other fucking, you know, we just watched that two minutes ago in in the camera, and then now we're watching you watch it. Now we're watching it while you watch it, and it's like ah, it I, it, it really that apparently uh, threw me for enough of a loop that I'm going to be annoying about it for like four straight minutes. <laughs> uh, no, no, yeah, I, I, the, the fades really took me out of it too. Like maybe if if there was more fades. Or if the fades were just like, you know, it's, at some point in the movie, there's just like star wipe. Um, it's just like, oh, you know, he yeah, clearly were, edited this and he's yeah. messing with all the new features that, on this thing. Um, it it could have just been like one of those things because he's clearly, you know, like a guy that goofs around that stuff. Because you remember when he turns on the uh, the spooky music for when the yeah. psychic is coming? Like, it, you know, it would have been in character for him to be like star wipe, um, even though horrible things are happening. But yeah, like there was there was just a couple of editing things in this that that were like you know professional editing things that you wouldn't notice in a movie that was professionally that that was meant to appear professionally edited throughout because it's in it's in the same film dialect i guess 
you know, is the same language but different dialects. And you know, when when you when you hear some of a different dialect, just all of a sudden, in in the midst of a sentence, sudden the other one, it's it's just it's it's like, wait, why did you do that? Yeah. You know, it's more why in a movie that does not, you know, this movie does not is not made to handle whys very well. Yeah. And it, it goes to lengths to to keep you from asking why too often. Um, but, you know, it's like when you finish watching the movie, it's like, well, why is Katie being haunted? Why is Mika such a jerk? Why, uh, you know, where was the demonologist? What did that other guy? It's just all of these sort of questions that you you don't want to ask of this movie because it'll never be able to answer them because it wasn't it wasn't written to answer them it wasn't made to answer them or at least the final product wasn't I don't know about yeah. the, the lead up to it but the movie that you watch the, the, the finished piece was not made to answer those questions yeah it's not what it's trying to do because uh, ultimately it is you know it's a, it's a spooky story you know it's a, it's a it's a horror movie a demon mm-hmm. haunting story more than it is a yeah. close examination of the internal life of uh, Mika Sloat or whatever uh, let's see. Uh, at one point, Mika starts. Uh, well, I have two notes in a row here. The first one is update Mika continuing to be an intractable douche, and the second one is quoting some dialogue from him. What is your quest? What is your favorite color? He's quoting Monty Python at the demon at one point. I think on night thirteen. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's when he's doing the EVP recordings. I think that's the first time I've ever heard a Monty Python reference in like a movie. That 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 was not Monty Python, or was not <laughs> did not have Monty Python and, and the Holy Grail on in the scene at the time. And it had to be Mika, yep. son of a bitch. Uh, oh, uh, so this movie is about dark things happening in you know seemingly an idyllic California suburb. Uh, where, you know, the nice couple and then their jobs and one's a student and going to be a teacher and things are nice and idyllic and then things go bad. Um, one of the first scenes of this movie, I'm 95% sure they're watching Blue Velvet. <laughs> I didn't catch that. I, I saw definitely something. saw Kyle <laughs> MacLachlan on the screen because that's, you know, you, you don't forget Kyle MacLachlan's face. That you definitely don't forget it after watching it. all of Twin Peaks. Um, but, yeah, and he was wearing like a, uh, he was wearing a, 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 uh, a flannel shirt and had a big doofy grin in his face. I'm just like, that has to that be sounds Blue, like Velvet. Blue Velvet. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to the editing thing actually real quick because uh, two things. One, uh, I thought the question, and I don't know, I have a whole lot more to add here, but I just wanted to acknowledge that I think it's interesting that the question of whether we're looking at something that was up to that point assembled by Mika and then he died and someone tacked on the scene where he died versus some mysterious editor did the, all of the assembly itself. I think it's an interesting one that I'd, I'd be curious to see, you know, arguments for or against either of those. Uh, but, but taking it in a slightly different direction, here's another big idea proposal for the film. Uh, my proposal is that the demon is uh, not just reacting generically to attempts to taunt or communicate with it. I think it's specifically interested in independent filmmaking. It's actually reacting to the opportunity to make a found footage horror faux documentary. Like the the demon, or, or, or I guess an actual documentary, because we'll assume the demon is within the film and that the demon is real. So this is, this is he, he literally was unlucky enough to end up in a relationship with a girl haunted by a demon that specifically wanted to get to, into indie horror filmmaking. And he buys that camera and that was that really was the end. It's not it's not that the camera was making the demon angry. 
which is what the film would more or less try and argue, it seems like, that the, the camera was a way of providing a channel and provoking the demon along with everything else happening. It's that the demon was like, holy shit, now I can – now I've got my big break. i got a camera. I've got someone I'm haunting. Uh, let's do this thing. And everything that happens that's frustrating in the film, everything that's dumb is all about the demon trying to get motivation out of its characters that it has cast uh, <laughs> in its film. And so in a sense, whoever did the physical editing – and this would explain it. Let's say let's say the editing to, of the film up to the point where uh, the final scene where Mika gets killed, everything up to there, let's say it had been edited on the fly by Mika during those three weeks. Um, and you would look at that and I think reasonably say, why would he edit it like that? Like, even, even if he's trying to make something, you know, sort of watchable and compelling as a narrative out of this footage, it still doesn't necessarily feel like what that character would make. He would probably try and make himself a little bit more sympathetic. He would probably try and tell the story a little bit differently without forecasting his own doom quite so much. You know, he would probably try and make the bravado work for him, etc. But if you assume that the demon is inhabiting, you know, him to some extent, or, you know, maybe, maybe Katie is at night doing an alternate edit. Like she gets up when she disappears, she's going down to the machine and she's sitting there in a demon haze and re-editing the film. And what we see is like basically the elves the, cobbling the shoes at night. Yeah. So we're seeing the demon acting through Katie is editing the footage of them reacting to the demon. The demon really doesn't like Mika. And, uh, no. you know, I, I think you could make the argument, you know, get, even getting off this crazy uh, film joke here, that the demon may have some sort of even affection or valence with Katie, even if she's terrified by it. It may be essentially a, a personal connection that they have. So you could argue that it doesn't like Mika because it knows Mika's a douchebag, even if Katie doesn't. Uh, and so maybe killing uh Mika isn't so much the demon finally getting to do evil as the demon finally getting to take care of business at the end of the film. But anyway, so yeah, the the whole film could be the product of an upstart independent filmmaking demon that finally got its chance. And so that's why we end up with what we see. The police department found this surprisingly cohesive, uh, you know, 84 minutes edit. Um, on the on the on the computer along with everything else and then they you know whatever tacked on uh paramount tacked on the death scene at the end when they got a hold of this snuff film i guess it really falls apart as soon as you try and take remotely seriously the idea of the film being put out obviously but you know what are you gonna do it's a horror movie uh anyway that's that's my big idea i I like the idea (laughs) that this film is actually the work of the demon itself (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that would, you know, just, uh, I, I, I really like that idea, but now I totally spaced on what, oh, yeah, I was going to say, no, it, it works perfectly, and then if you take the last scene of, you know, just like the body being thrown at the uh, at, at the camera, and the camera, call, oh, you know, pops down, and then Katie, you know, possessed by the demon, just like, you know, with crazy eyes, looks at it, that's a perfect parallel to the last scene of Sunset Boulevard, where uh, Gloria Swanson is just like, I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. <laughs> it's also there's a bunch of there's a bunch of mo- mirrors in the movie and that doesn't do anything with them other than a little bit of, uh i feel like there's a couple of those fake outs if you're wondering if something's gonna happen with the mirror but never thing ever does but also there in a sense 
looking at the camera mirrors looking in a mirror. So it's a it's a mutual mirroring thing too. But yeah, the the smile, the demon smile at the camera at the end before lunging at it from uh, Demon Katie uh, is. I mean, on the one hand, it's just like a, a, a nice acknowledgement of the viewer and an attempt for a cheap scare of jumping at the viewer because, hey, mm-hmm. oh, no, it's, it's finally – it's on to us in a sense uh, and sort of jumping out at us. But, uh, but yeah. So that, that – uh, that's a thing. And you didn't see either of the alternate endings, right? I did not. So tell, okay, tell us. So, tell us. Yeah. So the oh, – let me make sure I have the right context for these because I, I, I watched both of them. Uh, let me see. There, okay, so there's an unshot ending, which I think would have been perfect, but it was clear. And I think that, you know, from what I read, like the director would have wanted, but it was it would have been way too expensive and difficult to shoot, where just the last scene is just Katie possessed, bludgeons Mika to death with his camera, <laughs> which would have been fucking perfect. Um, it's tricky with see. one camera, though. Just be a bunch of quick zoom-ins on various parts of his body. Yeah. So. I mean, they did it in a what is it, Clockwork Orange? Yeah, Clockwork Orange. Oh, you know, um, I'm going to have to. We're going to have to pause the podcast for just one second. All right. Will I cut it out or will I let it roll? This is this is the 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 question. And and this time, if I forget to cut it out, at least you know that I was thinking about cutting it out. Uh, the question in my mind is, is Yakov uh, getting a package? I felt like maybe I heard a beep. Uh, or is he, is, is he micturating, as we've established he sometimes does? Uh, maybe he's tending his mustache. He, he, he used to have a great big beard, and maybe he's grown it back at this point. But I think I've seen recent pictures he still just has the mustache. Uh, he really could have been uh, a gay cop. It really would have. I think he's, he's, got, he's got the hair for it. He could make it happen. He could own it. Uh, yeah, I, I really don't have a whole lot here. I thought I was just going to just burst into an improvisation here and, and keep this running, but I might still have to cut this out because because uh, I just I'm not bringing the energy. I'm not I'm not I'm not holding up my end of the bargain. Although it's only my end. The, this is the problem. I, I'm trying to hold up a bargain with someone else, but it's just me. It's a solo bargain. I should grab both ends of the bargain. And lift them at the same time. I think is 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 how this would work. Uh, okay. Welcome back. I, uh, yeah. I I tried to freestyle it in your absence, but uh, but I, I, I cratered. I was gonna. I was just gonna keep it going the whole time with just a, a monologue. But then I realized most of the things I wanted to talk about were things. Uh, that I wanted to talk to you about, and, and right. then I realized I missed you. So. Yeah, I mean, I just had to. I, I heard there was a uh, there was a guttural scream and a thud in the other room, but it turned out to just be the wind. Yeah, it happens. It happens. I will say something for this film. Even watching it the second time, and you know, being uh, old hand at horror stuff, I still was a little bit disconcerted when my wife wanted to know what that sound was in the basement. Uh, afterwards, <laughs> uh, it turns out it was the it was the fan on the water heater. But uh, but I was I was very conscious of the fact that I was. Like, you know, I know horror movies aren't real. I know I'm just jumpy. I know it's just effective filmmaking. But that's exactly what the person in the horror movie who's seen horror movies is thinking. Exactly. Fucking scream. Exactly. So, so yes. Uh, 
Ah, oh, jeez. I'm just glancing through my notes for other little bits of things, and, and I promise not to betray Katie's trust scene was just like the worst possible. Like, oh, my God. The, yes, I promise not to bu- buy a Ouija board. I'm like, all right, this is once again <laughs> verging into like these Homer Simpson levels of telegraphing a joke. Yes, it was super about Chekhovian. About him being, like, you know, mm-hmm. terrible. It's like, well, I borrowed it. <laughs> <laughs> I had a question about the Ouija board scene, actually. Okay, that's one of the things I wanted to mm-hmm. talk about. Uh, he has a camera set up uh, in the living room. It's one of the few times we get a static shot on the tripod, not in the bedroom. Um, he sets up the camera in the living room, pulls out the Ouija board, sets it down. Katie comes downstairs and she's like, what the fuck are you doing? They predictably get in an argument because he's a giant asshole. And then they leave. Uh, and the camera's still running. And then we see the Ouija board start moving around the, the the whatever the the optical bit on the Ouija board starts moving around and then the flames come up and then they come home and find that uh, so my question is is the demon doing this because it's a Ouija board and it's like fuck yeah I can leave a message on this Ouija board specifically by doing some Bernie stuff or is the demon doing this because it is aware that the camera is on the Ouija board and knows that they can try and try and recreate the movements uh, from reviewing the film. Like, how how aware of it is... Well, here's one thing that I wasn't clear about. Who was moving the Ouija board? Was it the demon, or was it the ghost of Diane? Or whatever her name is. The exercise lady that has, like, the exact same uh, character backstory as Katie? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe there's a merging of the two, too. Because uh, there might be a ghost and a demon in this movie. Yeah. You know, there's... Um, it'd be great if the movie it's like there's definitely demons but no ghosts are bullshit um, <laughs> but yeah uh, it was it was I, I so the way that the psychic and you know I'm taking what the psychic says as you know the closest thing we're going to get to canon to uh, what do you call it just spirits and then the paranormal in the universe of the paranormal activity movies in that it doesn't seem to matter what kind of ritual you do to communicate with the demon like you know you can use a Ouija board you can you know summon a spirit with like you know a big pentagram and 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 and, and uh, what do you call it lights and uh, we're candles and stuff <laughs> what do you call them candles it, yeah um, and and it, it doesn't matter as long as you you make a clear display that you're trying to 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 communicate it with it like it, it's it's like a very understanding date where it's like as long as you make it look like you're trying to, to, to court them and, and to do whatever it is you do during dating. It'll work even if you take them to, you know, on a tour of a, of a butcher shop or something. I, I, that's best I can come up with. Um, so I think, you know, leaving the Ouija board out, that's a, that's a big step, um, you know, toward telling the demons like, hey, hey, because I mean, the demon's clearly supposed to know what a Ouija board is and how it works, yeah. or it's supposed to figure it out real quick. Well, they I don't really... wonder, like, is there something special about Ouija boards, or is it just like a thing that, you know, demons are willing to put up with? It's like, oh, Jesus, really? A fucking Ouija? Fine, we'll use the Ouija board. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's it. You like, know, maybe the Ouija just... board is the free bird of, of, of demon conversation. 
Yeah, it's like, like <laughs> just once, why can't somebody attach a pendulum, to a string to <laughs> yeah, a, come a on. With, a, with a long thread to a pendulum and have it sway, and then I can I can sort of alter that. Or, uh, let, let me arrange your Cheerios, man. Come on, like let's let's mix it up. I stack those chairs. Those chairs were awesome. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and I, I I think having the camera trained on it to be able to reconstruct what it did was like the icing on the cake for the demon because yeah. now the demon knows that he can talk to them even though they're not there yeah because you know like it, it was just you know a step up from the evp thing which also worked where you know apparently if you if you taunt a demon long enough it'll it'll growl at you and this is just like all right well you can talk to us um and it'll do something else freaky like set the ouija board on fire um which is you know they must have not reviewed that footage I feel or they must have said nothing, or they must have, you know, just said they def- definitely didn't say anything about the Ouija board bursting into flame. Like he mentions, like there's marks left on it, but I don't remember them. I, I I might just not be remembering it, but I don't remember them mentioning the fact that it burst into flame on camera spontaneously. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know if they did either, and it just sort of like I just sort of ran with it. But uh, th- there, there were there were a few times in the film where I wasn't totally clear why they didn't have more of a reaction to something that they presumably saw as people established as very much reviewing and discussing the film. Like I don't think I don't think there was any discussion was there of Katie's first episode of standing creepily beside the bed, or did they specifically acknowledge that? Um, he said um, he, I think he said that he found her outside. Yeah, because like, um, yeah, but they yeah. It's yeah, that, that's that's I think that's another found footage thing where horror movie stupid turns every found footage movie into that scene in Cabin in the Woods where he's just like you know it's like we should split up wait that makes what kind of sense I mean it's like don't read the Latin like when, yeah. when you're doing found footage when it's not you're when the, the the conceit is not that you're watching a movie but that you're watching something that happened like horror movie stupid makes a lot less sense yeah. in that context and is it's a lot it 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 goes to to break suspension of disbelief more than it would in just a regular film yeah and it, it's tricky because like I I I, I want to be willing to say, well, I, it's good enough that they're establishing that they're looking at the footage, and it's good enough that they're establishing that they're getting increasingly freaked out. And so I don't necessarily need them to answer each specific thought I have about how they should react to any given part of the footage. But it still becomes a thing where like, I latch onto things as a viewer that maybe they don't latch on as much as characters, even in this case as characters who are at least at least one of them being properly spooked by the stuff they're recording and are reviewing. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a quibbly thing, but uh, I remember thinking about it. Uh, and, and yeah, maybe the same thing with the Ouija board since it wasn't super clear. Um, oh yeah. See, you know, I didn't even make the connection quite on the Diane thing, uh, until we were just talking about it now. And cause I was, I, I was looking at the cast list. I was like, who the fuck is Diane? But Diane was the, yeah, the exorcism. He found the documentation of on a website from like 1960 or whatever. So yeah, it could have been. It could have been the ghost of Diane on the Ouija board. It could have been the demon just sort of mocking and saying, Oh, oh yeah, Diane, I know Diane. Um, I was kind of interested in his process for putting together. It looks like he was like sort of putting several letters that it could have been at, at each position just based on the yeah. not great shot of the film. So I liked, I liked that. I liked that they were taking the combinatoric process of trying to suss out what it might've been spelling. Apparently, according to some website that I read, it was actually spelling Micah and then goodbye, but I don't know how accurate that is. <laughs> well, goodbye was one of the hello and goodbye yeah. were things on there. So yeah, it could have been trying to do, 
That, that that's kind of nice. What that's if slick. You, do do ghosts and demons just get the ability to speak any language after they die, or can you only contact English language demons and ghosts with a Ouija board? Like, what if it just starts saying something and you know just spells out something in, in in Spanish? Is it because you can speak Spanish, or is it because the you know? I bet what, they I bet they've got resources. I bet they've got you know they've got. Language learning courses. They've got uh, professional translators. Plus, they got a lot of time. They've got a lot of time. You know, you're you're down in hell being immortal. You know, pick up a couple languages. Yeah, it's like ah, I'm tired of bugging Germans. I uh, want a little Latin flavor, and then they go and learn, you know, Spanish or Portuguese or whatever. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, I wonder. I wonder how that works. Because otherwise, you know, like the ghosts of Easter Island, they're screwed. We have no idea how their language works or what it is. <laughs> Just these big, bored, mopey moais. Um, uh, oh, the alternate endings. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so uh, the original ending, um, basically, she gets up, uh, goes downstairs. I'm trying to... Yeah, she gets up, goes downstairs, you know, in like that freaky demon way. Um, let see. Uh Oh, I think then she comes back up and just begins rocking on the floor for, you know, an extended period of time, like a couple of days. I I didn't really keep too careful track of the uh, time meter. Um, A neighbor leaves a message, and somebody finds Mika's dead body downstairs, and then the cops show up, um, and when the cops come upstairs, or I think there's like two of them, maybe three, uh, you know, you hear like, we're the police and she's in the trance the whole time. And she, um, that's when she gets up and then she just says like, what Mika is, is that you? Um, and then you, they're like, she's got a knife. And then I think they, they, they shoot her just like slightly out of frame. And, and that was it. Hmm. Uh, and that, that was the original ending. Um, and then there was an alternate ending where I think there's no, bo- yeah, the body doesn't get thrown at the camera, so it doesn't knock the camera down. I think, uh, you know, Katie goes downstairs, screams, Mika goes downstairs, screams, and she comes back up holding, you know, a knife, and she's covered in blood. And then she steps, like, right in front of the camera, like, dead on, just slashes her throat and falls right over. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I don't know, like, I, Dude, I, I feel maybe- like that feels, fits my uh, demon auteur theory even better, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just the uh, demon got a hell of a performance out of her. Just like, yeah. you know, what, what an ending! And it's and it's you know it's 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 uh, what do you call it? It's it's learned. It's it's a reference to Enchantment de Lou by uh, what's his face yeah. <laughs> Dolly and and that uh, guy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I maybe if I had watched it at the uh, at like you know the the emotional peak uh, that the movie gave me the first time, and not like in a YouTube clip ten minutes before the podcast. <laughs> Um, maybe if I had watched it then, it, it would have been a little scarier, but from the way I saw it, it, you know, there, it, she just makes like a really superficial cut across her throat and then just falls over sideways, almost like a pratfall. Yeah. So I, I'm sort of glad they didn't keep it in because they, they didn't, they, they wouldn't have been able to make the falling look like a, a natural byproduct of her cutting her throat. Cause the way she cuts her throat, uh, you know, it bleeds, but it's. You know, if you've watched enough horror movies, you know what a throat should be like when it's cut. Um, and that's an unfortunate part of your life now. If you've watched yep. too many horror movies, you know what a throat's supposed to be like when somebody, you know, pulls a knife through it. Um, and it wasn't that. It was it was clearly, you know, like stage, uh, stage knife um, and then, you know, like a stage fall. So I, I'm glad that they kept the one that they used. Although... Um, 
I'm wondering how they. You think it was a dummy that they threw at the camera? Probably. Yeah. Probably. Probably d- dummy and and threw it or had it on wires. A, yeah, a, a nice little wire thing and just yeah. reeled it in or whatever. Yeah, that was the nice thing about the effects people for this movie. When you're shooting so much of it in like almost, you know, almost uh, what do you call it? Just like in. Uh, black and white or blue and white darkness yeah, exactly. uh you can put street you can put fishing line on anything you want nobody's ever gonna see it <laughs> uh, uh i had a there, there was a moment uh later in the film where uh i think when she's finally calling the demonologist and mike is like hey 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 let's talk about this because because anybody fucking wants to hear him try and convince her not to call a demonologist just still at this point but uh but then he does some of the macho you know i'm gonna solve this problem thing and and you know I'm I'm, I'm I'm making progress or whatever the fuck he said. And she hollers at him something like, uh, you know, you're absolutely powerless. And all of a sudden, I thought, what if the film is actually an allegorical story about Micah's alcoholism in in the in the guise, the figurative guise of documentarian addiction, and the fact that he won't, you know, admit that he's powerless and start in the twelve step program of you know AA to deal with it uh, is what's ruining their marriage, which here is figurative rep- represented by you know being haunted by a demon until he's dead because uh, he can't he can't uh, he can't shake off his demons, you know. He so yeah, that's all just. Power, powerless made me think uh, maybe someone was pulling like a an AA uh, <laughs> reference there. Uh, <laughs> Just think of all the things this movie could be an allegory for. <laughs> it's 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 a nice thing about the relatively uh, terse structure of the whole thing. You know, it really two two actors in tension, a third party. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, see if there's anything else. Some notes here. Oh, um, watching uh, Katie put on deodorant at night before they're going to go to bed. I thought I was the only person that did that. Apparently not. Just the the two of you, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I didn't. I, I didn't even register that. Apparently, I was just like, okay, that happened. Uh, I liked the camera footage of the website because nothing like blurry uh, white Times New Roman on a black background. Uh, on totally. a ge- on what was clearly a GeoCities page, and I'm just wondering if that was like it's like our, if you know like some people in movie making are still stuck in the you know if we're going to show a web page on the internet, it's going to be like either a super slick corporate page which will look better than anything a corporation could do right now, or if it's a person's web page, it still has to look like a GeoCities page with yeah. like animated gifs and an under, under construction thing and you know orange text on a slightly lighter orange background. Yeah, although it, um, it kind of worked in this case, like aesthetically, yeah. that seemed like the right website to have some fringy story about a yeah. demon possession and blah blah blah. Yeah. So. So not necessarily a, yeah. a problem, but yeah. still. Um, there's a, there was a bunch of sh- footage because they only showed one. Just I think it was either a static or a very very slow moving shot of the exorcism. Um, but they shot a bunch of footage, and I found a bunch of photos of it that look like screen caps. So I assume there's a cut floating around with the exorcism footage still on it. Yeah. But it's really hard to find things when your search terms are paranormal activity exorcism. <laughs> Turns out when you name your movie after a somewhat common phrase in a certain context, yep. 
yeah. that is an issue. Uh, one one little thing that I thought was kind of cool in just sort of like a, this is a creepy random touch was when like late in the film, Katie's at this point super checked out. This is right before the final night, final mm-hmm. scene. She's sitting there looking really sort of like checked out on the floor and she's clenching a blocky wooden cross really, really tightly to the point where there's like mm-hmm. blood you know, running out of her hand because she's cut herself on the edges of it. Uh, which I thought, I thought by itself, you know, we haven't really had a whole lot of Christian symbolism in this film, surprisingly for something that's got sort of like a demonic possession, uh, vibe to it. Um, but we've got that clause. And, and then Mike is like all responding. This is being super machismo and growly. He's like, I'm taking care of this right now. He starts the fireplace and he burns the cross. And that seemed like a really weird, random, <laughs> like, I don't know if it was, I, 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 I don't know if it was a bad idea per se, but I feel fairly confident just in an instinctive level that it wasn't a good one. Like it's not yeah. something that I think would really normally occur to us. It was like, you know what I should do right now about my girlfriend freaked out about this escalating demon possession. I should burn a holy relic. That's what I should do. I should, I should burn an artifact of, you know, uh, I'm assuming, uh, Mika is probably not a religious person, but still you think you would have some sort of sense of that. Yeah, it's just, you know, just being on the safe side. Let's not desecrate any icons right now while this demon's haunting us, just in case. <laughs> just, just, you know, we don't you know. know what kind of demon it is. If it's, you know, it might be a dibbig. It might be a Jewish demon. Wouldn't give a shit. But, you know, just, if this is, yeah. this is a Christian demon, uh, be careful. It's like a very specific inversion of Pascal's wager, you know. Yeah. Uh, best case scenario, you've got a spare bloody cross sitting around and who cares you know worst case scenario yeah best case um, scenario you've got the most hilarious vampire bait ever <laughs> i want it but i can't have it but i want it i'm stuck in front of that thing I, I, <laughs> it's just like a vampire's equivalent of a jalapeno popper for me yep. it's just like oh I, I want it but it's not going to do anything it'll good burn, to me after i get it burn, <laughs> Uh, I really liked Katie's like this. This is like when they were at this point, the film was saying, okay, the shit is finally, you know, hitting the fan truly and properly. Katie, after really, really, really wanting to leave, uh, is then back in bed yet again. Uh, and, and she's doing there. that voice that she was yeah. doing outside. Yeah. The weird sort of, uh, girlish, small voice, which I feel like in a way might call back well to the fact that, you know, this has a prehistory going back to, you know, when she was eight years old. Yeah. Um, I think that, I think that was supposed to be like, yeah. like, you know, not exactly eight year old Katie coming back in, but just like that mindset that sort of regression there. Yeah. But, and, and then it becomes clear that she's like, possession is now, clearly underway because then she yeah. finally says something like it'll be okay now and as she finishes that sentence this weird little touch of demony vocoder comes in uh on the words yeah yeah the now is just like very yeah. slightly yeah. like auto-tuned yeah. or you know uh what do you call it uh duplex what, what, what do you call reverbed i forget the term but it's it, there's it's it, it's an echo but not really an echo just like a doubling over really subtle but yeah. the fact that you know you were they, they did in a really smart way because she's not saying this like in the middle of a conversation what happens is that you know mike is the the camera's fixed on her she's in the bed under the covers which is you know generally you know kind of a concern but definitely like a really weird expression on her face for everything that's going on because it, there's not a lot of emotion in it and the emotion that's in it is wrong yeah. um so she just looks wrong and then um 
you know, uh, Mika's, you know, stomping around being like, oh, you know, we, to, we were getting out of this apartment. Now we're staying in this apartment. Whether you're fucking, uh, I don't know. And she's just like, oh, come on. Let's, I'm sure, I'm sure everything will be fine. And then there's a beat, um, and she makes direct eye contact with the camera with like, pretty bulgy eyes and then that's when she says it's like everything will be fine or whatever it yeah, is it'll be like okay that very now. last yeah. word uh is is you know uh, uh vote, whatever it is a bit and then and then she closes her eyes and smiles and it cuts yeah which is so, it's, yeah at that point you're like fuck you know it's, yeah. it, it was really great and then they go to the final sequence and mm-hmm. with the shot and and I liked that they ended with it. I liked that that, that was the shot they they ended on. They brought it back to that fixture again because uh, we get we get her getting up and we get a repeat of the standing still with fast forward thing. Um, and this time I, I really liked that. So yeah, the covers magically come off Micah while she stares at him. So okay, we've got some demon power manifesting there. So then she walks slowly around to his side of the bed, stands there, does the wiggly thing for a couple of hours, uh, repeat of that, and it's much. It's it it. Manages to be much more menacing, not only because we know the shit's really hitting the fan here, but also something about that proximity makes it, it made it feel that much more menacing to me. Like from the far side of the bed, it was weird. From this side, it's like two hours, like at any moment, it could turn into, a, you know, murder, but instead it's just this staring. Yeah. yeah, I mean, she's doing the thing that she describes the psychic that, you know, like the demon was always just standing there staring at the yeah. foot of her bed, yeah. uh, never doing anything, but just like that alone enough is really terrifying. And, you know, that it's doing the exact same thing to him, but he's asleep. Yeah, exactly. Uh, then she goes down and, and she screams Micah horribly from the darkness and there's thumping and he runs down and there's more thumping and then it's suddenly totally silent and and all this we're keeping with the shot which i i think is really nice and then we get the footsteps coming up uh which we've established this a bunch of times uh, as something that happens in the film the sound of the footsteps and it's it's really it's really a good use of that static framing and, you know this is this shot has been established so thoroughly uh and for once mike didn't grab the goddamn camera uh which maybe that's what got him killed maybe if he had brought the camera it still would have gotten out of it somehow uh, but so we keep the shot and it's all staring at that door and knowing that something's going to come, something's going to happen, but we don't know what, we don't know when, and we get the audio cues and then, and then the body comes flying through and we get that whole last little bit. And then that ruins the shot. Like the yeah. camera drops off yeah. and, you know, like the last thing we have is just, you know, it's sort of a, if this was like a film school 101 essay, I, I, I'd say that, you know, the, uh, the, the, the angle is now like it's, it's canted angle cameras on the floor and it's just reflecting the fact that, uh, you know, Katie's totally gone, that, you know, nothing, nothing that we're looking at is what was there before. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, uh, Oh, so the knife that she kills him with, it's the same knife as in the beginning when he's just like, well, when they're cooking dinner before everything starts, when he's just like, well, you know, if anything happens, we'll take care of it. And he sort of like makes a slashing motion across his throat with the knife as he's cooking with it. Yeah. And that's the knife that, you know. That whole, yeah, it was real conspicuous waving around with the knife. I, I forgot yeah. to mention that, but yeah. Yeah, that seemed really uh, sort of out yeah. there. So, yeah. I, yeah, I... Did you figure out what her hobby was or that crafting I, that she's I think doing? Made, like, like, like beaded jewelry stuff, I think. They were okay. doing jewelry making. Yeah, she knits, she makes jewelry, she studies. He likes guitars and cameras. There's our characters. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she was making jewelry. It was kind of an Etsy vibe, basically. Yeah. Although this may have been... Was Etsy around in 2007? Uh, Let's 
find out. The race to Etsy. No, not Etsy.com. Uh, Look, Google, when I type something, what I mean is take me to Wikipedia. Uh, 2005 it was launched, so it may have already been mm. on the scene. Might have not blown up until later. Yeah. But uh, anyway. I'm sure people would knit, knit it before that. No, no, <laughs> they, no, they invented it for Etsy. It's, uh, ah, they really took off with that. I, you know. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, ever watch a joke blow up in the hangar? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's I guess that's pretty much my my everything for film. I think I think we covered all my notes. I uh, really wish I knew what cow net meant. Yeah, you gotta you're gonna wake up in the middle of the night and realize it's something that you heard whispered by the side of the bed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel like I should sit down and, and watch two and three again, and then watch four since that's on Netflix now. Um, not necessarily for podcast or anything, but uh, just uh, yeah, it reminded me I liked I liked uh, what they did with these movies. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was uh, this, on the whole, this is one of the better movies that I've seen in a while, on the podcast, I mean, and also, on the whole, probably the most, like, cohesively consistent. That sounds like a like a completely neutral thing. I'm trying to praise this movie, and I'm failing at it. It's it's good. It's, it's, it, it doesn't... Um, you know, the, it, it stumbles a few times, but not not enough that it totally broke everything for me. You know, I was able to recover, yeah. and it was it was good throughout the whole thing, and it, it genuinely scared me, which um, does not happen often uh, with the movies we watch. Yeah, which may come down to us. I mean, maybe we're oh, yeah, bad at I mean, I've movies, been but still actively avoiding certain things <laughs> that like just you know scare me in a way that like I would be able to get no enjoyment out of like uh you know home invasion films I I can't do those uh, and yeah uh and alien abduction movies also those oh, really? are my, those are my two yeah yeah like um when I think I mentioned this on the podcast even but when I remember when I was a kid fire in the sky was just coming out and I saw the commercials for it and I'm just like they seriously made a movie just to terrify me <laughs> I think like, maybe you did mention this I think I had forgotten that uh yeah, I don't know. I I I have never really been uh, particularly taken by the alien abduction I'm taken by uh, <laughs> the whole alien abduction genre. It's always it's always struck me as like sort of like you know sort of wacky sci-fi more than anything that actually connected with me viscerally. Uh, and I don't know why that is exactly. You know, I, although I may have mentioned this before, the one scene, and I may have actually mentioned this talking about static framing uh, previously. So this may tie it all together as just repeat content, I guess. But uh, in the film, flashback. Yeah, yeah. The film Communion uh, with Christopher Walken uh, about Whitley Strieber's book about uh, allegedly being, you know, in contact with aliens. Uh, that is communion. I, communion is the name. It was the name of his first book, and it was the name of the movie they made. And they got Christopher Walken to basically play his character. Uh, in what is allegedly a true story. Like, it's kind of hard to say, did Whitley Strieber, uh, does he really, really believe he got abducted by aliens, or does he really, really believe that he's going to successfully market a series of books? You know, it's hard to say exactly. But in any case, the 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 the, the conceit of the book and, and of the film based on it is that, you know, this is actually things that happened to Whitley Strieber. And so Christopher Walken uh, plays his character as this guy who has a series of interactions uh, throughout his life, uh, but specifically in this one period uh, with aliens. 
And this includes at one point he's staying at a cabin in the woods. Of course you do, but it's really more of a vacation home in the woods. It's a nicely appointed you know family home. And they're staying there, and he gets up at some point in the middle of the night and sort of walks out to the the balcony of the big lofty living room space and looks down. Uh, and there's this real still shot of just like the living room and of a dresser that's sort of a POV shot from him, I guess. I, I haven't seen it in a while, so I don't remember exactly how they framed it. But anyway, it just holds real still, and he sort of calls out to whatever's out there. You know, basically, hey, you know, come out and show yourself. Uh, I think he literally says, hey, show yourself, you know, and uh, and then it's just a real slow shot. And then a little flat faced gray alien just does sort of slowly lean out from behind where it's hiding behind some furniture. And the first time I saw the scene, it just fucking terrified me. And I think it really struck me at the time. Like, you know, I think I was fairly young. I was probably, I don't know, uh, mid teens or something. Uh, so I knew I was into horror movies, but uh, I was still, you know, a little bit. Not not really a student of film per se at that point, uh, but I remember this shot's really striking me, and it struck me how effective it was. That it was basically just quiet and still, you know, and it was really just the camera sitting there pointing at where something could happen, and then the thing happened, and there was no jump, there was no big you know leaping out, there was no sudden moves, no big sudden stings of music that I recall. I think it was just a quiet shot of the thing that might be hiding behind something, showing itself. And somehow that was so fucking effective uh, for me at the time. And it wasn't about it being aliens. It was just about the, I don't know, the anticipation being satisfied in a way you would expect to be sort of cheated out or distracted from. Uh, and I don't know, that, that one scene really, really stuck with me. And I, I think maybe that's part of why I'm interested in the use of the static film, static camera angles in, in this uh, film and, and its sequels. Is It's sort of the same thing. It's showing how much work you can get out of not doing something. Just like letting something sit there and letting your eye linger and wait, and then and then the scary thing happens. Just just by happening, it manages to be a scare uh, instead of any sort of cheap, you know, startle tactics. Yeah, yeah, you, you. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's there's something to be said about being able to to you know tell your audience they're about to see something scary and give them all the time they need, sort of to you know just steal themselves and still and still scare them because first of all you know just being able to pay off on telling somebody you're going to scare them is not easy at all uh it's it's you know movies that you know made by uh you know scary movies made by much more seasoned directors with much much more money have have failed at it over and over it's 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 a uh what do you call i mean it's it's as old as horror movies are is your your inability to both you know like foreshadow effectively and and pay off in the foreshadowing is uh you know it's a horror movie problem as long as there's been horror movies or even literature um and so doing it and you know stripping away everything from it just to leaving the very very bare bones of what'll happen um that's how he got it to work and that's damn yeah yeah so I think that's it. Was I? I'm sorry, audience. I failed. I have no idea what Cownet means. <laughs> if you know um, what Cownet is, yeah, call uh, it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Drop by the drop by the website. Go by the Facebook page. We have such films to show you. Go by the Tumblr if you feel like it. Uh, Vote yeah. for us on iTunes. Yes. Uh, review and review and rate. It's super handy. 
And uh, have we talked about what we're doing uh, next time, or should we just figure that out uh, off the air? We're going to do Blair Witch. Do you want to? I'll do yeah. it. I'll do yeah. Blair Witch. Right. Yeah. Hey, okay. Blair Witch. We'll, we'll, we'll go a little continuity here. We'll do, we'll do Blair Witch Project. Uh, and or then should Blair we watch Witch Project 2, The Book of Shadows. <laughs> I was say, anybody who wants to watch it for extra credit, you're welcome to. But uh, yeah, okay, well, all right. A couple of weeks, we'll do Blair Witch. Uh, we'll, we'll really dig into the starting point from which this film is, is very much seems to have been a studied reaction to the results of yeah. what Blair Witch got started. And, uh, and yeah, that'll just be to, good. To, to, to actually prepare, I just want everybody who was alive at the time that, or, you know, cognizant at the time the Blair Witch Project came out, I don't know, how many young teenage listeners do we have? Not a lot, I don't think. Um, <laughs> who would not have been around for uh, the hype for the Blair Witch. But just remember that, um, what do you call it? The... Uh, that shot of her, like, in the trunk or whatever, like, you know, us uh, apologizing to everybody, you know, like the green camera thing, yeah. you know, shot, you know, with her, her crying. Just that was everywhere that when was, the movie came out. It was fucking inescapable. There were so many dumb parodies of that scene just because it was so easy to do. It's like, all you need to do is put a sheet over you and sit with a camera point of your face and uh, get some snot to come out of your nose and then apologize for things. And boom, you've got a parody. That's all there is to it. Yeah, that was. I wonder if they intended that scene to become so iconic. Like, I wonder if you could tell while you're making the movie, you know, where the catchphrase is going to come from, or where the like without without actually trying to make an iconic scene or a catchphrase. Like, if you're just trying to make a movie and you want the whole movie to be, yeah. you know, whatever. Like, you know, there's scenes you spend more or less time on. But I wonder if you know if if you know like if you watch the dailies or you know if you watch like the the rough cut or even the final cut before it comes out. If you it's like, you know, you as the director, or probably more the producer, because it would be, it's, it's more the producer's job to be able to, to judge what in the movie is like the standout material, because that's how it gets marketed. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's the most important part of making a movie is getting people to pay you to see it. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I wonder if they, if, if they knew that scene was going to be, become that culturally ubiquitous for a short period of time. Yeah, I kind of want it. It is a really, uh, it, it, it's an interesting thing how, because for, for my part, like just doing creative product projects, I feel like I'm not super consistent about knowing what other people are going to feel like is the moment, you know, or the best little bits. You know, I'll, I'll make something and I'll like the whole thing, but there are parts that I particularly was proud of in conceiving it that don't necessarily end up being the thing that people latch on to uh, in actually consuming it. So, yeah, I, I kind of wonder if they had any idea. Um, you know, one, one thing I'm just going to throw this out here real quick and then we'll just sign off because otherwise we'll just keep talking and, and that's, that's dangerous for everybody. We don't really like each uh, other. So <laughs> it's know. a lot of clenching of teeth and, uh, saying, you know, Yakov, turn off the fucking camera. Um, but, uh, we're doing this for you listeners. <laughs> it's an unhappy marriage, but it's important that you grow up in a stable home listening to our podcast. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, we mentioned the, the lack of credits, you know, before or after, you know, there's really no traditional credits and I kind of wonder what specifically like the legal situation is with, uh, like, like screen guild and shit, like, like credit stuff is very, very regulated within the film industry. Like there's rules about who gets to be where and what order things come in and how long stuff has to be on screen. Uh, you know, that if there weren't those requirements, a lot of films would probably, skip on it just because like, Hey, yeah. we can cut three minutes off the running time, you know, or something like that. 
but in any case, like the complete lack of it was sort of jarring to me because I, I almost expect it to not be something you could skip. And I'm kind of wondering what the situation is if you want to get away with not doing that. Is it a product of this having been a totally random little independent production? You know, I I think so because I'm trying I'm trying to remember the credits from Clerks and they were also like incredibly minimal. It was yeah. just uh, you know the the his production company name which was his choice to put up there. The you know the the written directed acted in by Kevin Smith which was again those were all his choice because I don't think he was he was shooting a completely independent movie. I don't think he was he had to stick to uh, what do you call it SAG or yeah. or uh, standards or or whatever the director's equivalent is. Yeah, and it's something about which I have like no context. So it, it's interesting that it's like oh you you can in theory end up doing, of course you can because you're just <laughs> filming something. It's not like someone has a gun to your head but but still I I, I thought it was I guess I to some extent, it strikes me as interesting that it's still like that even once it got like a studio release. Like it'd be one thing if it was someone's independent film that they just sort of put out and then it moved around. But then you know Paramount picked it up. I'm watching that it's on you know Amazon.com streaming. What has to be like a corporately controlled you know piece of uh, film IP. Uh, I think maybe maybe somebody high enough at the studio like understood aesthetically what doing something like that would do to this movie and you know just like they just got somebody high up enough to make that decision to understand their uh, to understand the movie and that that's what it took yeah maybe yep anyway that was my all right yep so um we will see you in two weeks with the blair witch project um and uh, I'm pretty sure Josh will watch the Amityville Horror, so maybe we'll do that instead. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Uh, good night, everybody. Talk to you later. Hey, what's that sound? 